Gotham City. Always brings a smile to my face. Terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. and welcome to episode 14 of Legends of the Batman. I am Michael Bradley. I'm Michael Kaiser. If this is your first episode, uh, just a quick rundown of what we do here. The mission of this podcast is to cover everything Batman from the beginning. Each episode, we take a month of Batman material in all media and cover it, review it, talk about it, laugh at it, whatever needs done. Uh, This episode, we'll be looking at Batman material from April 1940. And it's a bit of a big month because it marks the one-year anniversary of the character's debut in Detective Comics number 27. But as it's still early in the character's existence, we still only got the comic books. But for the first time, Batman appears in two comic books in the same month. So this episode, we will be looking at Detective Comics number 39 and the historic Batman number one. To, uh, To celebrate such a milestone, both in the history of Batman and in the podcast... We decided to invite a few friends along, so we had to rearrange. But they the couldn't Batcave. make it, so you had us come instead. Yeah, we had to. <laughs> we had to rearrange the Batcave a little bit. We parked the Batmobile out back and put the giant penny into storage. But it's my great pleasure to introduce the three co-hosts for this episode. Please welcome Mr. Donovan Grant. Hello, hello. Mr. Joshua Lappin Bertoni. Who's there? And Mr. John Wilson. Howdy do. Don, Josh, and John are the triple threat brain trust behind Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where they are covering everything Spider-Man from the beginning. And they're all big Batman fans as well, so we're excited to have them here. Uh, so welcome to the show, guys. Yep, welcome. Thank you for having big us. Batman fans, these guys with me are so much bigger than I am. I, I like Batman, but Josh and Don are, are wizards compared to me. We shall well. see. Yeah, which character is this again? Which is <laughs> Can they explain the faceless flowers if they're such big wizards? That's what I want to know. So what we thought we would do is go around the circle and let each of the guys introduce themselves and tell how they got into comics, uh, specifically Batman. So, Donovan, let's start with you and then just go on around from there. Well, I'll try not to take up uh, too much time, but I the, the reason I'm in comic books and the reason I'm in doing what I'm doing is because of Batman. He is my all-time favorite character and i've i i don't even remember when i got into him i just remember all my life loving the character um 
I I got into him, I think, just because I was watching Batman the Animated Series as a really young boy, and and also reruns of the 60s Batman show concurrently. So I actually never had a distinct idea of Batman. I just knew he was uh, the guy in the suit with Robin, and one didn't contradict the other. So, But as I got older, I, I distilled different versions like Batman Forever and... Um, uh, Batman and Robin, and then uh, the other the other versions like Batman Begins and the comic books. And um, with that with that love of the character came, you know, going towards the comic books and following those books. I I started collecting I started collecting them one after another around the Bruce Wayne murderer storyline. But even before then, I was like I was like reading them at stores and um, getting familiar with all the other characters like Nightwing and Robin and Oracle. I he's he's my favorite character. Even though I spend most of my uh, podcasting and reviewing time talking about a character from an entirely different company, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, he he's awesome, and um, it is a treat to be on this show to look at uh, the really the really raw and primal days of Batman, where he was not wholly defined, but he was still you know like he was he was sort of still like like unfiltered, which is pretty cool. So thank you thank you for having me, and thank you for uh, giving me a chance to read these comics again. Well, thanks for coming on, Josh. Okay, well, I guess uh, the comic's origin story is the very first comic that I can remember getting was actually a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic, which... (laughs) And you still like comics. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And um, I actually found um, the copy that I bought, I I don't know where it is now, but I actually found an online uh, torrent of that exact issue. And I reread it and I was like, wow, it's amazing that I, you know, didn't turn away from the genre for life because it was a really bad it was it, it was that one that that we saw a few months ago Dom with like that cowboy with like a magic finger and Kimberly was grounded oh are you serious yeah that so that that, that was the first comic ever <laughs> uh but later got into it again um through the Fox Kids lineup and reading you know seeing the their versions of Batman and Spider-Man and eventually going after the comics material but the thing that made me get into the Batman comics is, you know, this this, this is the drum roll and this is the Bawa moment. Is the Jill Schumacher Batman and Robin movie that made me actually oh, yes. seek out the wow. comics? Wow! Yeah. So Mighty was... Morphin Power Rangers and then Jill Schumacher. <laughs> nothing but quality. That's <laughs> right. Nothing but quality. It could only go up from there. So. <laughs> well. I mean, it must have made me really like the comics because then when I read it and it was like that different from the movie and that much more awesome, cool. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I was 12 or 13 and, you know, there was a lot of hype around that stuff. Oh, um, yeah. Big time. So I, I started reading um, a little earlier than Don was. I was reading right after Legacy and before uh, the first uh, Earthquake storyline Cataclysm. And I read most of the titles then and started getting the back issues and from garage sales was able to like you know get some old stuff like wolfman's run on batman and read stuff like the lonely place of dying and just uh went from there cool is it my turn yes no 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 we, we got the other guy first <laughs> well you know i started out with uh, batman number one by scott snyder and detective comics number one by tony daniel thought those were great books are you from the future <laughs> <laughs> It just built my collection from there. <laughs> I'm really glad to get it on the beginning of this thing. Mm-hmm. Someone, someone's going to have that story someday. Getting, oh, getting in the ground floor. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, watched a lot of afternoon TV reruns of the Adam West Batman series when I was a kid. So 
um, like Spider-Man and Superman, there's not really a point in my life where I remember discovering Batman. Uh, those three characters have just always been in my head as far back as I can remember. And I was 10 when the Tim Burton Batman film was released. My brother and I went and saw that. And I think we got a few Batman comics around that time. Maybe there were some back issues. I don't know. We, it might have been like one of those grocery store three packs that you get. Because we had some issues of Batman The New Adventures. Like there's a cover of Jason Todd ripping a hubcap off of a car. And Batman's like looking over the car at him. And he's like looking all like I just got caught and stuff. Um, yeah, something like that. So we had some, you know, random issues. But we actually started buying towards the end of 1990. Our dad started taking us to comic shops regularly. I got Amazing Spider-Man 341, and I forget the number on Batman, but it's a three-issue story identity crisis that ends with Tim Drake putting on the suit. The first issue has this like wedding bride with a skull mask on her face, um, about to kill some people, and uh, that had the Scarecrow doing some stuff. And like I said, that's right when we got a new Robin, so it was like this big, exciting time. We felt like we were getting... You know, in on, you know, this this new character, and we loved the Robin suit. We collected Batman and other comics for a year, two or three after that. And although we stopped collecting comics, we've always been interested in Batman. We saw all the movies. He has seen a lot more of the cartoons than I have. I have to say that actually, when it comes to Batman animation, I have seen almost nothing. <laughs> and I plan to remedy that very very soon with my nine year old daughter. Um, oh, of course you are. <laughs> of course I am. We're going to be watching Batman the Animated Series here starting pretty soon. Um, I'm trying to get some uh, my, my uh, collection of episodes built up. And uh, then we'll be going through that. But as far as Batman, yeah, I love it. We got the um, Batman Archives book whenever the Archives Project was still new. So I read all of those old detective issues. and um... But yeah, like Batman, I've read a lot of this old stuff. I, I was always bothered by the fact that Detective the Batman Archives didn't have Batman number one in it because you miss the first appearance of the Joker and the Catwoman, mm -hmm. but you get later appearances of them and it's not their first. And that really, really bothered me. I was OCD at age 12. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, so I'm, lo I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the issues. Um, it's kind of amazing to me that considering all our ages, that at least three out of five of us um, – attribute the Adam West Batman TV show to getting into Batman. Yeah, yeah. I don't have noticed that. <laughs> um, so that just tells you how cool that show was, I guess. And how much it has embedded itself in the pop culture. Yeah, really. They had a VHS copy of the movie when I was uh, when I was young. And when I was getting into the franchise, um, I rented the movie. And I watched it a bunch of times with my friend Perry. And we would, like, run around the house, like, reenacting the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> We knew not what we were doing. Right, right. I I thought it was completely serious when I was a kid. So. <laughs> Me too. I I actually have that that VHS. When, and when they get to the part where they say um, it's, they're figuring out who the villains are, you know, C for Catwoman, Riddle Riddle Er. I, I I was trying to even as a kid, I was like, I, I'm not sure how that makes sense, but maybe I'll get it when I'm older. And, then I got it. <laughs> and boy, did you get it. <laughs> oh yes. It actually made less sense. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right, so should we get into comic books? Yes. Let's do it. All right, because we have like twice as many to cover this time around. Um, but you have twice as many people. True. Plus one. True. Plus one. So, or, yeah, something like that. Um, so first up, we have trusty old Detective Comics, number 39, 
which uh, was approximately released on April 4th, 1940, with a cover date of May for that year. It had a 10-cent cover price, and it was edited by our, our new editor, Whitney Ellsworth. The cover uh, depicts Batman on an unfinished skyscraper, uh, punching a guy off a girder with Robin swinging, on a, swinging in on a cable ready to take out another thug trying to hit Batman um, with a wrench from behind. And as with the last few covers uh, Mike and I have been covering, uh, or uh, covering, talking about, um, this cover was clearly meant for last issue, Detective 38, because it's pretty much that story, or the ending of that yeah. story. It kind of swaps the roles a little bit. Yeah, it's got, because in that issue it was Robin fighting and Batman swinging in for the save, so I thought that was interesting that they switched it around. Yeah. Maybe they just fight on girders a lot. Yes, they do seem to do that. This is also the first cover with the DC bullet, the first Batman cover with the DC bullet on it. Oh. Yes. Wow. It's very different than the Batman in the, in the comic. It was a little bit we, with the ears. I just recorded with uh, Michael Bailey on the Golden Age Superman show, and we just talked about the first Action Comics issue with a DC bullet. I'm kind of glad they – I don't know if I'm glad or not. I don't know if this this cover screams, you know, iconic and – and, you know, the debut of Robin so much, so I'm kind of glad they didn't use it. But on the other hand, Mike and I weren't especially excited about last issue's cover either, so. Well, just Aww. because they repeated the splash page. That right. was really our only problem. Oh, right. With it. Right, right. It just seemed like it was a slap-on kind of thing. But, okay, inside we have a story called The Horde of the Green Dragon, and it's 12 pages. And it starts out, again, the, intrep- the intrepid black-clad figure of the Batman and his aide, Robin, the laughing young daredevil combine forces to battle against those who would menace a people. Two figures, a man and a boy, two figures always outnumbered, but never outfought two figures to fight the horde of the green dragon. It is night. And the millionaire Henry Crandall steps to his car when suddenly two shadowy figures appear from behind and gag him. Not far away. Another millionaire, John Cobb walks to his awaiting car. Suddenly three silhouetted figures spring from the shadows and grab Cobb and as this driver pops out of the car to try and help his employer, one of the menacing figures sends a hatchet flying his direction, splitting the head of the chauffeur. At the home of Bruce Wayne, he and his new partner, Dick Grayson, read the latest headlines reporting on the chauffeur's murder and the ransom demand of $100,000 that was later sent to the kidnapped John Cobb's wife. Bruce mulls over the kidnapper's chosen murder weapon, deducing that there's only one kind of people that kill with a hatchet— but before he can, uh, of course. <laughs> but before In all he... of America, there's only one kind. <laughs> but before he can finish his thought, Dick points out a message within the paper directed to Batman, which reads, "Batman, a friend needs your help. Come at once." As the message used a Chinese-style font, Batman works out that it must have come from Wong, the unofficial mayor of Chinatown, who previously helped him with the Ruby Idol case in Detective Comics number 35. Bruce changes to Batman and heads to Wong's, ordering Dick to stay home and guard the fort. Arriving at Wong's via open window, Batman asks his friend what he can do to help. Wong tells Batman of a new tong in Chinatown called the Green Dragon, full of evil men who work many wicked enterprises, including selling opium to the people of Chinatown in addition to their kidnapping and ransom rackets. Though dangerous to do so, Wong has decided to gather information on the dwelling place of the Green Dragon and their leader, and asks that Batman return tomorrow. Batman agrees to do so and leaves, and behind 
Wong's Wall, two thugs from the Green Dragon Tongue, who have been spying on Wong and Batman's conversation through a peephole, smile wickedly, stroking their hatchets, and proclaiming they too will return tomorrow. The next day, Bruce again suits up as Batman and tells Dick to stay home, feeling the assignment is far too dangerous for his young new ally, what with all the hatchet head splitting going on. Heading to Chinatown, Batman again enters through Wong's open window, finding Wong sitting in a chair waiting for him. But as the Batman approaches and notices Wong's blank stare, he reaches out to his friend, and Wong suddenly slumps forward, and there, buried deep in the back of his head, a hatchet. Batman notices that Wong managed, managed to live long enough to scratch on his desk, Pier 3, with his nail. But before he can process this information, he spies a shadow darting across the floor, and Batman ducks just in time as a hatchet flies over his head and thuds into the wall. Whirling around, the Batman sees the two eavesdropping thugs from the night before, the dreaded Chinese hatchet men, coming out from behind a screen and charging directly at him. Before they can reach him, Batman tugs on a carpet underneath their feet and sends the two assassins tumbling to the ground. Pouncing on one of them, Batman proceeds to beat the tar out of him, while the other regains his footing and comes at Batman from behind. But Batman whirls around in the nick of time and grabs the villain's wrist before he can bring his hatchet down on Batman's head. The two struggle over the weapon until suddenly the Chinese jerks his hand loose and the chops and chops down at the Batman. As the Batman pulls back to avoid the deadly chop, the force of the Chinaman's lunge carries them both over the low sill. The men follow the porch roof and roll down the slant. For a moment, they hover on the roof edge and then plunge to the ground. But the Chinaman is underneath, and as they hit the ground, his body acts as a shock absorber. The Batman, however, receives a glancing blow on the head and rolls unconscious. A little later, inside Wong's house, another enters the room. Robin, the boy wonder, who decided to disobey Robin's orders to stay out of it and came anyway to see if there was anything he could do to help. Seeing the murdered Wong laying over his desk with a hatchet sticking out of the back of his head, Robin deduces this scene must have something to do with the missing millionaires, and after spotting Wong's death note scratched on his desk, desk decides to head over to Pier 3. Unbeknownst to Robin, however, the third thug, the first thug that Batman initially beat the crud out of, wakes up, and not finding Batman or his cohorts, decides to report back to home base. Upon arriving at Pier 3, the thug finds Robin snooping around and sneaks up behind him, knocking out the boy Wonder with a blow to the head. The unconscious boy is carried across the shadowy pier to the ship of mystery, to the lair of the Green Dragon. When, Bat when Robin awakens, he is aware of two chained figures, Crandall and Cobb, the kidnapped millionaires, and there upon his throne, an enormous green idol, the master of the Tong of the Green Dragon. Taking one look at Robin, the leader decides... He must be related to Batman, and asks Robin where Batman resides. Robin, of course, refuses, so the leader gives Robin a wooden sword and pits him up against one of his huge, hulked-out Mongol thugs, wielding a real sword. As the Mongol chops away at, at the Boy Wonder's wooden sword, getting closer and closer to the hilt with each swing, Robin decides, screw this, and pulls out a sling, <laughs> beaming the Mongol in the head with one of his steel pellets. <laughs> Before the leader of his cult can react to Robin's victory... A bat-shaped shadow spreads across their wall, scaring the heck out of them, and suddenly the Batman leaps into the fray, swinging across the room and landing on the leader's platform. As the attacking Chinese dash across the floor, the dynamic Batman leaps forward towards the leader's throne, grimly braces himself, and with a supreme effort manages to topple the enormous idol off balance. The idol of the dream dragon kills its own as it topples off the platform, crushing the gathered villains below. As the Togmaster runs across the wreckage, the Batman leaps off after him, easily catching him and using the leader's face as a punching bag. <laughs> as Robin mops up any remaining Tong members who manage to escape being crushed by the idol. 
Freeing the two millionaires, Batman explains to them that he knew all along who had kidnapped them, because only a Chinese hatchet man could use a hatchet to kill someone, and that it was only <laughs> and that it was only, logic. And that it was only a matter of finding their hideout. The next day, Bruce Wayne, the Batman, is out strolling with his fiancée, Julie Madison, when they pass a newspaper boy exclaiming, Batman frees millionaire, breaks up opium ring, extra, extra, as Julie comments to Bruce that Batman sure sounds exciting and wonders why Bruce couldn't be more like him. In Chinatown, a woman explains to her daughter that she should pray for Batman because Batman freed them from the dreaded opium ring that was enslaving them. As it did, as it did in generations past. And back at Bruce Wayne's home, Dick laments that it was a pity poor Wong had to die. But Bruce reminds him that his sacrifice was not in vain. His people are free. It is the end of the tongue of the Green Dragon. The end. And there was much rejoicing. And then there's a panel at the very end that says, "Beware of Clayface, a black oh, yes. and a black cloaked hideous figure that menaces the lives of Batman and his aide, Robin the Boy Wonder, as he leaves behind a trail of death." coming next month so a cool issue <laughs> yes uh, the tragic off... death of wong mm-hmm. yeah i'm surprised he hasn't been revived with all these crises and stuff yeah grant morrison like... really was was gonna do him next and then they had the reboot <laughs> aside like... from commissioner gordon and julie madison this is like the closest thing that we have to a supporting character yep black lantern wong it was black <laughs> lantern wong <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so we start off with something that is sure to infuriate uh, Mike over there, and that's the large Superbat logo looming yes. at the top of the page. Yes, it's looking more and more Superman-like with each issue. Yeah. Um, I've been wondering, though, if, if it was blue, I wonder if it wouldn't annoy us quite as much. It would. It would. <laughs> yeah. It's not so much the colors, because they change that. It seems that they change that every issue, but... Yeah. Um, but Robin's logo his uh you know ye old english logo is is still the same so that's kind of and this is the first time that the intro panel has been an entire splash page i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. pretty cool pretty cool splash page for that matter very cool with uh batman and robin charging into battle against the mongols i'm very very superman only gets like third and half page size splashes yeah yeah, Batman, Batman's are bi- Batman's is bigger than Superman's. He started out as like a quarter panel, and then it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And now this is as big as it's got. Um, still not a fan of describing Batman as sensational, though. I'm not sure why. Uh, I like it. It's very fun, adventurous. Yeah, I guess. They chose like five different fonts for that, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cursive, like 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 uh, neon. Almost. Man, they did the 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 sensational, the adventures, the. <laughs> I actually have a note. I think I have a note later. Their mind. I think I have a note later that the lettering just kind of was irritating this this story, and I don't usually notice lettering at all, so um, it kind of stood out. Uh, But we have a nice opening to the story with uh, you know an assailant, shadows, and a murder, and um, yeah, Bruce reads about it in the paper, but at least he's not stumbling into it this time like he has in several issues past. Right. He has really creepy eyes in that last panel. <laughs> They're Batman the eyes. Chauffeur was killed with a hatchet. Hmm. Yeah. Can only be. I would love to hear William Dozier um, narrate this first page, particularly with splitting the head of the chauffeur. <laughs> ah, hatchets. <laughs> it is night, way. and the millionaire Henry Crandall steps to his cab. <laughs> Suddenly, and then the music. <laughs> no, that's a joke. Not far away, another millionaire. 
really a brutal death of the driver, though, so... Yeah. Gotta love the For Golden real. Age. Yeah, we haven't... Ellsworth, ha- Ellsworth hasn't, you know, completely destroyed the violence yet, so... They could have done some blood there. I, I imagine that the- it was a conscious choice not to put blood on that because of the kids' comic, but... Yeah. Uh, well, nothing was holding I don't them know, back. The other a couple stories ago, the guy through the, the forehead is fine, but blood is where they draw the line for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really do blood, though. You know, I mean, Batman's been shot, and it's just like this little tiny drizzle. Um, yeah, they did do some blood in the first issue, but it's not like it's it's not as uh, visible, I should say. Yeah, and it's weird sometimes what censors will decide is not appropriate for children. Like there's a. One of the very first Doctor Who black and white episodes from like 1963 or so, he brings this rock down on this guy's head. The guy's head is off panel, so basically all you see him do is bring a rock down uh, to something below the frame. And they were going to put a melon crunching sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) And the censor said, no, that would be too graphic. So he can kill the guy, you know, somewhat off panel, but the sound effect would have been too much. Yeah. Um, Bruce Wayne doesn't have to talk to himself anymore, which I was, you know, very happy with. Because usually, usually this is the scene where he's listening to the radio, reading the paper, and then he starts going on and on to himself about yeah about. I'm gonna know. do something later. I should have <laughs> this with when to- when the time's right. Months later, <laughs> he still goes off by himself. It's just that Robin starts talking back. I mean, he's like the chauffeur was killed with a hatchet. Hmm. Yeah, right. really. the hatchet. There's only one kind of people with that killed with a hatchet. The what? Robin, what Crazy are you doing? Yeah. That is true. I guess he, he is just talking to I'm himself still. <laughs> he's, he's like, all right, all right, I, I adopted this kid. He's in my house now. Right. I don't even think, like, in the Golden Age, like, there's nothing last issue about him officially adopting him. No. Nope. He's just all of a sudden no. living with him. They never say, you're my ward now, or, like, nope. you're adopted. That's all. That's all record. <laughs> so Batman, Batman Forever got it right, then. No, the, the, this, kid, this kid's just there. You we know? don't even know how Bruce Wayne was raised, for that matter. Right. All these... <laughs> You by know. somebody. <laughs> right. And what's worse is in Detective Comics number 38, Batman takes Robin from the circus. So, you know, for all the officials know, Batman kidnapped this kid. And... <laughs> so Frank Miller got it right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, Chinese people are the only ones who use a hatchet, right? Apparently. I thought he was going to go, you know, Native American, but oh, oh well. That's the tomahawk. Killers. Oh, you're right. You're right. See, that's why I'm not Batman. Well, what would have been even better of... is if, if when he went to see Wong, like, all right, Wong, you called me in the paper. He's like, no. He's like, but but you use Chinese font, and then Wong berates him. <laughs> you think just because I Chinese, I'm the only one that uses Chinese font? And I'm not entirely sure that that qualifies as Chinese font. <laughs> <laughs> that's racist, Batman. Get out of here. I'm sorry, Wong. No, I'm just messing with you. Of course it was me. <laughs> you racist bastard. <laughs> On uh, the... Page three, um, where, the, where he says a few minutes later, Dick, you stay home and guard the fort. The Batman is going to visit a friend. That's a really cool image. I had that too. Yeah, it's, it's awesome yeah. shot. Yeah, very modern style. Yeah, if you guys have commented on how a lot of the really shadowy images of Batman have stayed throughout his entire career. And I, I love seeing like these really early ones and seeing that, yeah, yeah they, they were there in the very beginning. And it's, it's a great shot. I hope, I hope Bart can drew it. But, it know. is a great shot. Sometimes I think it's just them shortcutting things. Yeah. Um, most probably, but... <laughs> like, especially if you look at the panel underneath, we've been getting a lot of these Batman back shots where it's, like, just the side he's, of his head and, and his cape. He's humongous. Yeah, he's humongous. Um, 
But I remember like some of the earlier stories, the silhouettes were were freaking fantastic. You know, like you'd be standing in front of a door or a window, and like you could see the room at night, and you know he's got his wings up and stuff like that. Now it just seems like they're doing his head and his cape, and let's move on. So, but it is it is moody. Batman is actually a really cool character for Bob Kane to draw because Bob Kane likes shortcuts. So, <laughs> yeah. So silhouettes work. I loved seeing the reference back to uh, Detective Comics number 35. Yes. With the Ruby Idol case and bringing Wong back. Uh, this is Yeah, this is two stories in a row where Bruce Wayne has talked about previous stories. Mm-hmm. There was continuity in the Golden Age? I know. It's crazy. We're getting spoiled here. But last <laughs> issue, he talked about how his parents were killed. And, you know, um, this issue, it's it's the Ruby Idol case. So this is, this is Robin getting left behind by Batman on his second story. Yeah. Yep. Well, for good reason. I mean, like, look, look, look what they have to. He has to deal with. Don't yeah, worry, Batman. I, I'll help you. My forehead. I kind of, I kind of like it in the sense that, you know, he's not just exposing this kid to full blown, mm-hmm. you know, crimin- no, criminal. No, not behavior. like next issue where he says, right, right. or not next issue, but not like later in the show where he makes him stand there and say, "All right, you three guys, go <laughs> right. after them." <laughs> right, go right, right. While I watch. Yeah, but see, that was a, that was a controlled environment, so it's okay. But it wasn't really at first because he just told Dick to go investigate the case. I've got better things yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> exactly. I can't win. I need to polish my batterings. I'm wondering if like there was any objection going. I think I've read somewhere, and I can't remember who's what the name was now. The publisher kind of objected to the idea of, of Robin having – or Robin existing, period. So maybe they're – Jack Leibowitz. Is that who it was? Maybe, yeah. And Harry like, Donafeld and Jack Leibowitz, yeah. Um, so maybe they're kind of just holding back. Not, I don't know. Either way, I agree that I, I like the idea that he is engaging what he's exposing Dick to. Like he's not because because the, like the murders are so serious. He he says it's not just a gang of people robbing people. It's like okay, let me at least check this out first. So you stay home and yeah, and um, I'll get. I, I, I do like that idea. Yeah, or Bob Kane just didn't want to draw Robin all the time. <laughs> most most probably, and we'll be saying that. Well, I think I think mainly we're talking from the fact that. Very soon, I don't know how quickly it, go, it goes away, where Robin's just automatically there, default every case. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be that way for 20 years or more Yeah. Uh, once it gets settled in. So the fact that there was a learning curve at the beginning is kind of cool. It's it's not a storytelling device that you think they would have done. Right. We would expect it now, and we got oh, yeah. it with Tim Drake. Oh, sure. Um, and, and Jason Todd, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I haven't read those, but yeah, I, I guess you're right. Um, but it's cool that we got with Dick, too. Yeah. I think it's just more of a storytelling device so that that way he shows up later and they're oh. separated, then they could come together. That's absolutely possible also, yeah. Uh, but speaking of storytelling, the only thing I I didn't like about this issue is it seems funny to me that Wong goes to the trouble of summoning Batman just to tell him that he is going to get information so that he can summon him again. And, <laughs> and I didn't really tomorrow. You know, it's like, why don't you have that already? You know, how often does the Batman show up at your house, you know? Panels 7 and 8 there of page 4. Is that the same Ruby Idol that Batman used to kill a guy back in Detective Comics number 35? Yeah, it sure looks like it, doesn't it? I mean, it's a nice bit of continuity, but it doesn't make any sense why Wong would have the Idol back again. Well, he's the mayor of Chinatown, you know? It got back. <laughs> Unofficial Or there's mayor. multiple Ruby Idols. Or there's multiple Ruby Idols. That could be. Or he has the real one. <laughs> it's all Julie Madison's fault. Yeah, probably. Well, there's nothing like a woman who verbally berates her her fiancé in public and calls him a nobody. (laughs) That's what comic book women do, dude. I know. Golden Age especially. Jesus. (laughs) Lois Lane of a kind of lord and mercy. Yeah. 
on uh, page five, I'm pretty sure you guys have ha- you guys had talked about this, um, where Batman's like like on top of the guy in, in uh, just punching him, uh-huh. and how uh, Bob Kane uses that like like ten thousand times. Yeah, yes. that's one of his favorite poses. Yes, but I did like this fight quite a bit. I think it was pretty fun. Um, you know, where he pulls the rug out from under him, and then this whole wrestling with the with the axe thing was pretty dynamic, especially the last page where or the page uh, six, I guess, where they're falling out the window. All those captions. Which I, which I just pretty much read. Yeah. My summary and, was, it was pretty dramatic. And really pinning a guy down and just wailing on his face with punch after punch is a pretty effective fighting maneuver. So. Yes, yes. It reminds yeah, me of the serials. Have y'all, have y'all ever seen the Batman serials? I have. I've seen the first one. Yeah, it's been a while. They, 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 they beat the crap out of each other in those things. Like, like they go all out, and it reminds me of that, like really, like white, like like freestyle kind of frenzied fighting. Yeah, because there's so you know, like we've said before, there's not really martial arts in the United States at this point. So so that's how you fight people. You get on top of them and you punch them a lot. Yeah, he's not the fifth best martial artist in the world in this, at this point. Right, right. He doesn't he doesn't chop you, you know, karate chop you in the neck. He just pins you down and punches you in the face. On the subject of uh, poses that are reused a lot, this starts a very, very big golden age trope of somebody sneaking up behind Dick Grayson and bopping him in the back of the head and knocking him out. Yeah. <laughs> You guys need to start a account of this because it happens a lot. And one of the stupidest message board theories that I ever saw is during Devin Grayson's run on Nightwing, they said that maybe all those times that he got hit in the back of the head, like it caused permanent brain damage to him, and that's and that's why like think everything was going. Somebody somebody suggested this as like an actual theory, and that's why like everything. Oh, was you're going not serious. They thought that Devin Grayson was going to bring this back, and that it was going to be a clever thing. Well, didn't they used to do it on Batman in a few issues earlier, or am I misreading? Oh, Bat or Robin Boy hostage. You know, that's just a yeah. that's one of his roles. You know, my brother and I were talking one day, and like he he said um, he's not here right now, so I can I can say this, but he said that he really really wants to know a legitimate reason why Robin wears that really bright um, obvious costume because as much as he loves the character, it just does not make any sense. And I, I don't know if you guys talked about it in the last episode where you covered his first appearance. Uh, I kind of agree that like I would I wish it were a little more than like oh it looks like my uh, my parents trapeze suits. We, we I don't think we talked about the colors. We talked about the fact that it's not especially you know fit for Practical. crime fighting. Yeah, yeah, fit fit for crime fighting to have bare legs and bare arms and slippers and. Um, and the the reason they gave there for the costume was that it looked like Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Not that it yeah. was. They didn't. They haven't introduced the idea that it was his uh, acrobatic outfit. And it doesn't really even look like Robin Hood. I don't think. Robin, no, no, it, green, the, right? the old uh, Errol Flynn Robin Hood. He pre- we wear a pretty bright colored costume like that. Is the uh, is the look the only Robin Hood thing that they have? Because they call him the young Robin Hood of today. Right. And it seems they like did. there's really nothing about his character that's Robin Hood. For some reason. No. Well, you know, he's um, swashbuckling, I guess. Errol Flynn played Robin. You know, Robin Hood very you know happy go lucky, jumping around, swinging around, and Robin does that. Um, but yeah, it's not like he has a bow and arrow or anything. He's got a sling. Which I guess maybe Robin had one of those. I don't know. Seems like something he could have. But yeah, yeah. Tim, Tim Drake <laughs> had the staff. Dick Grayson and these Golden Age issues had the sling. But I, 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 something, I think what I said last episode was that uh, it's funny to me that this suit never gets retconned away. Like, no matter how many times DC goes through a new crisis and reboots everything and flashbacks, Dick Grayson was always dressed like this. I, I like the costume. It doesn't. It is. I'm not gonna say it's not silly. It's, it's not ridiculous, and it doesn't make any sense. But I do like it just because it is very classic. Yeah, exactly. For nostalgic purposes, it works. Um, 
I just kind of like his hair. I know it's kind of silly, but his hair's all spiky and wavy and going every direction, and it would be, you know. And I just, I just think that's kind of cool the way it's drawn here. Yeah, I agree. It's cool seeing Robin doing some detective work on his own, though, or at least taking some initiative. Even though he, you know, disobeys Batman. That, excuse me, disobeys Batman. Uh, I liked seeing him kind of following in Batman's footsteps, both literally and figuratively. It's, it's um, after. and it's. It's inadvertent character development, sort of, because you're seeing a more establishment of his of right. who he is outside of you know being Batman's busboy. We could probably start a count on how many times he disobeys Batman, too. Probably. We're gonna have a lot of counts. <laughs> you should have a count of how many counts you have. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Triple threat count. So on the scene, I, I think it's page eight. Where oh, he's just confronting. Be- hold on. Just before you do that, I just want to say one other thing. I like that the thug has no idea who Robin is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're going to get that through the other stories we talk about tonight, too. Nobody has any clue who Robin is. Um, which, it's uh, Batman and some other guy. Which is kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool continuity that they didn't have to do. They could have just made him a full blown partner of Batman and everybody accepts it. But yeah, I like that. that it's like, oh, he must have something to do with Robin or Batman. But. No clue. And the going back to the costume, from a modern sensibility, it doesn't make as much sense as it did in the 40s, and that's why a lot of people since then have tried to, like, retcon why the costume makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. but, like I remember one person was saying, why, the costume is brightly colored, so people won't take me seriously, and then they're surprised when I'm actually good at martial arts. <laughs> that wasn't um, Batman R.I.P., because, like, at one point when he's the Batman of Zero R., uh, long story, <laughs> but Batmite says, "Why are you dressed like that?" He says, "Robin wore a brightly colored costume, and it made people think that he wasn't. Uh, it gave you the courage to, you know, do crime or whatever." And it was a very flimsy excuse, but yeah, kind of they. Fun. I think that they used that same excuse in that Nightwing annual, which was really, really, really horrible. <laughs> the one where the one where like it played fast and loose with continuity. I think I think Bat- I think Batman picked the colors, and he just wants someone to shoot at Robin instead of him. But. <laughs> Here, kid, go be a target. That was another. That was another theory, actually. Like that some, somebody actually came to Tim Drake and said, "Why do you think he makes you wear bright colors? So you're a target." That's what they did in Tiny Toons, because Tiny Toons, like, 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 like uh, uh, Hampton, the pig hostage. He's like, you know, someone loyal, someone strong, someone who can, you know, wear a, a bright red, green, and yellow costume and draw all the fire. I mean, someone who can be my sidekick. Like, like that's 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 always the gag that he's always like. Like like the like the bullet points so Batman can run around and punch people while Dickers is spending all his time getting shot. Yeah. On page eight, I really like this panel uh, where Robin is brought before the the Green Dragon Master. I thought that was a nice, uh, yeah, nicely done and detailed panel. Uncharacteristically, Actually, uncharacteristically detailed for yeah <laughs> for detective comics art. Yeah. Yeah. Even back on not to not to go backwards, I think it was page five where we see where Batman starts his fight with the uh, the Mongols. The top two panels are really nice with the the lay in the Oriental style uh, decor, but then the bottom two thirds of the page, there's no backgrounds at all. So that yeah, yeah, not very consistent. A lot of this, a lot of this, there's not any background. Yeah, but on the on that panel, <clears throat> the uh, the big bad guy says, "Awake, eh? Hmm, peculiar costume you wear. Very different, but very similar to that of a uh, the Batman." Yeah, and I'm thinking similar to the Batman in a not at all kind of way, or <laughs> well, they're both wearing capes and, and masks and masks. So maybe if Batman's the only superhero in town, it makes sense, but eventually it won't. 
Unless unless Robin has a small insignia on his belt that says "Property of Batman." <laughs> right. <laughs> but I also like Panel Four. I mean, I know they render him ugly, but they don't render him like Chinese stereotype ugly, really. It's getting um, there, but <laughs> it's get it's getting there. But I was gonna say, yeah, it's pretty pretty close there. No, but I I mean, like all the villains, whether white or otherwise, have had pointy ears and sharp teeth and and yeah. long nails. So I don't think they're necessarily singling this guy out. Yeah. I love how I love how sadistic he is. He's like, here, I'll give you a chance to fight, but but, but my sword is made of wood. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what I want to know is why Robin just stood there and let the guy chop away at his sword. I mean, why didn't he do some kind of fancy kung fu or jujitsu flip? It's not till the very end when his sword is gone that he pulls out a slingshot. That that was out of his um out of out of his coat. He says that's yeah. that's not a coat that he's wearing. <laughs> <clears throat> Coats had different meanings back in the 30s. And then the very next page, the narrator says, The Sling. And Robin says, And a steel pellet. That does seem to be a new thing with these captions as they do, you know, The Sling, The Villain, The House. You know, just oh, yeah, I you, noticed that. Just to tell you, you know, The Joker. That night. Yeah. That's where they got That's the right. idea in the Adam West series, was where everything was labeled. Bat yeah, character. right. Bat surprise, surprise! There's no arrows, you know, sticking out <laughs> captions or something. Uh, that, like, like they could have done that, or had Robin look at the reader, point to the slinging steel <laughs> pellet, and says, "Look at this, a sling." <laughs> I guess it's just a dramatic couple panels where this chopped or this sword just keeps getting chopped smaller and smaller. It is kind of yeah. cool, but yeah, it would have been neat if he would just said, like, you know, this sword's worthless, tossed it aside, and just gone in there and beat the heck out of the guy. Yeah. And it's a good thing the Mongol didn't just, you know, cut to the quick and just chop Robin's head off. So Yeah, really. Page 10, I love the the Batman shadow on the wall that absolutely dwarfs the Green Dragon Master. It's really awesome. I love the quote, too. Don't be so hasty. Have you forgotten all about me? Underlined. <laughs> yeah, Batman's a little more serious in this issue. He's not been quipping as much. It was pretty out of control the last couple issues. Yes, thank God. Now that, now that Robin's here, I guess Robin gets all the quips. And how. Yeah. I do like the shadow. It really like makes me. I can just picture that like animated in the animated series or something. You know, the shadow just crawling up the wall. You can hear the soundtrack playing, and it's, it's a he he knows how to he knows how to make an entrance. Well, that's one thing I really love about this golden age era is that like um, people always tend to say that. Well, when Robin started came in the comic, Batman immediately became all smiley and joking. And like, there's a good year and a half to two years at least where like they're still having stories where people get like horribly murdered left and right. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's like uh, this is actually like how I uh, when I think of Batman and Robin, I, I like my favorite Robin is Tim, but I do think of like the billionaire Bruce Wayne and his war Dick Grayson fighting like the worst that Gotham has to offer in this sort of format. And I, I actually that's why partly why I like the Golden Age era so much is that it's a really it's a really evocative time time period to read, and it's really exciting to see like something that's characterized as being really kind of camp uh, be really dark at times. I, I find it really interesting. Yeah. Another reason they, they wanted to create Robin, I think we talked about last episode, is because they want kids to, you know, latch onto that character. And if you yeah. can't if you can't be Batman, you can at least be Robin's, you know, partner. Or I'm sorry, you can at least be Batman's partner, you know, his kid partner. Um, right. And so last issue, I just noticed that I, I was looking at Batman from Robin's point of view. And even though this issue isn't as, um, you know, Robin-centric, I, th- I still think when Batman comes in to save the day, it's it's almost more fun now that, you know, Robin's the kid that he's saving. 
you just see Batman from a different point of view. It's like, how cool would it be if you had Batman around to save your butt all the time? Yeah. From evil Chinese people? Yes. <laughs> well, after all, they are the only ones who use a hatchet. <laughs> Sorry, it's not going to die. Well, I was going to ask, like, like this is obviously before, uh, well, this is before the meet of U.S.'s involvement in World War II. I mean, I was wondering if, the, if America had anything against the Chinese or just that's just how they saw Asian people back then. I think it was largely just the times. Yes. Um, I actually don't think this is that bad, considering other things I've read. I mean, I think the art's bad. <laughs> really? I see. I I don't know. I don't. I mean, like, 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 like not the art of the issue, but just like the way these guys are drawn. Like, oh, but, like they don't. Their teeth are in their mouth, so that's good. You know? <laughs> that, that's progress, really. When they're spying on Wong and they're saying, "And so will we, all Batman." Like, yeah, that guy like picking at the axe. It's it's very stereotypical. That's... You also have Shashan in the last page, George. Yeah. Another sandwich, Batman, my world. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, I, I wonder if, um, you know, in New York you had Chinatown. Right. And I, maybe, there, maybe there was some tensions between that district and, and the nearby parts of the city that I don't really know about now. That's, that's a good point. But I, I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't really see it like them being particularly cruel to these guys. I mean, they're certainly, uh, you know, stereotyping them, but they probably don't have a lot of exposure to, you know, China or Chinatown either. So this is just how they see it, maybe. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's not the greatest portrayals, but it's not mean spirited either. No, I mean they don't have buck teeth and and I mean there was that God that Cosmo story I read earlier, in our, <laughs> like, like episode two or something that was freaking mean spirited. Oh my god, that was horrible. And I know it's going to get worse as the war goes on too. So. Yeah. so this isn't that bad. I mean, it's not a it's not a great portrayal, but it can always be worse. But there's he's good tried, guys, you know, like Wong's a good guy. He's Chinese and they're the lady and the daughter at the end who loved the Batman, they're Chinese. So it's not like it's all Chinese or evil and Right. Yeah, he, he's yeah. trying to use villains from the Chinese subculture like Chinatown. But he's not trying to turn the Chinese into villains. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Right. Just trying to offer up some variety. Right, variety. Is this the um, first time, um, real quick, that uh, Julie Madison uh, says, "Why can't my my Why can't Batman be Batman? I mean, why can't Bruce Wayne be Batman?" Yes. Is this the first time that Bill Finger has written Julie Madison? Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is. It's only her third appearance. Actually, it's only her third appearance, right? But she's his fiance. Yeah. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and she just came out of nowhere initially, and now she's kind of just coming and going again. But um, this is definitely the first time she's pulled the Lois Lane thing. So, I did like the um the third panel on that last page where he says he said the police would probably hunt for white gangsters and never suspected Chinese of kidnapping. Very smart. I just like some nice reverse racism there. <laughs> yeah, that whole that whole part makes me uncomfortable with. <laughs> Okay, my, my, my mic wasn't working. I was trying to chime in on the Julie Madison thing, which oh, is yes. Oh. And in every appearance from here on out until they break up, she will say an iteration of that line, including, <laughs> after, they're, including after they're already broken up and he saves her again. Mm-hmm. Why can't this guy who I dumped at the beginning of the issue be more like you? Well, I guess she, she had never met Batman before her first appearance, so maybe she really did get smitten with him and Bruce starts looking a little pale in comparison, but... <laughs> But yeah, so that Gardner is. Parks is the only one who really knows how to write Julie Madison, huh? No, no. <laughs> write her as a screaming and fainting no. girl. She, she had like she had no character really in the Gardner right. Fox story. So, 
and now she has Lois Lane's character. So either way, I guess it's neat to see her though. Oh, it, it, did he mention to her? Oh, by the way, huh, there's kind of a kid living with me now. Did you want children? Should we have discussed that before we got engaged? Because if, if if you're engaged to somebody, and then like. I don't whatever your plans are for having a family, you're engaged to somebody, and all of a sudden, without consulting you, they've adopted a child. Mm-hmm. This is going to affect your life with them. Is that something that you know would no. come up at all, or would be an issue, or? She's like she is so not anything to him. It's, yeah. I mean, he never talks about her. Uh, we've only seen her three times now, and the first two times was because she was directly in jeopardy. Well, yeah. what happened was they had three dates off panel, and so they got engaged. Right. That's what you do. <laughs> right. It's not like you know he loves her or anything. It's just they got engaged because that's the very next step in the relationship. Uh, Bruce, Bruce he, he tells he's like, I suppose I could, I should ask her to marry me, but man, I really don't like her. <laughs> well, there's been different because people don't think of Batman as a romantic person, and that's mostly because of modern sensibilities, but. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. when you guys get to the issue where they break up, it's just really, really weird because, like, she's like, why? She basically comes right out and says, "If I would know that you were doing something with your life, I'd marry you." And he's like, like he seems like he's legitimately sad about them breaking up. And it's like, then why don't you tell? I, it's weird. And well, there's like, there's a um, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but there's there's a, a Steve Inglehart Marshall Rogers story, which is sort of like a modernization. But uh, like still saying true these original Golden Age stories, and they show him they show that she's breaking up with him and he's he's sad about that, which is interesting. Yeah, and like she, they they call her in the recent Red Robin issue, like because like they they're threatening like lots of people in Batman's life, and when they get to Julie Madison, they're like Batman's first love, and then Grant Moore, of course, in the Grant Morrison like flashback to Julie Madison, like it shows that like he didn't really care about her. He's right. like Alfred. Break up with Julie for me, and it's like she left for Hollywood six months ago. Oh, well, that's for the that that that's yeah, well, for the best then. That's way more. That's way more in character to these to these stories that we've been reading because he just does not talk about her at all. But um, well, who talks about women in these issues? It's I all know. about the. Well, you don't even. See, uh, yeah, it's just it just was kind of abrupt that he even had a fiance. You know, you think that'd be something important to to let us know about, but um, <laughs> I guess not. But as much as I don't like her channeling Lois in this panel, and even though it's only one panel, it is kind of cool to see Bruce Wayne like going around town being Bruce Wayne, because uh, we don't really get yeah. that ever. Yeah, uh, no, never, not in any issue. Um, is he just hanging out smoking his pipe? So. He's always he's always either hanging out with Commissioner Gordon trying to get a Batman case, or he's you know picking up letters trying to get a Batman case, or he's sitting in front of the radio trying to get a Batman case. We don't know like what the heck he does on his off time. Which apparently is nothing. So he, he's a bored socialite. He's a bored so socialite. Yeah, right. He, that's why he's bored. Yeah. It is, does it become like the like the like the uh, uh, millionaire businessman in the Silver Age? I'm not sure. It's it's, it's before the Silver Age, but yeah, basically, because I remember some people like when they reread these issues from the modern sense of, oh, why is Julie, you know, saying that Bruce doesn't do anything with his life? He's a millionaire and he owns a company and he owns charities, and it's like, nope. yeah, but not the time this was written. Nope. He is he is wealthy. At least we get that well, in the origin story. They don't say millionaire though. I don't think. I don't know. My father's estate left me wealthy left as he's sitting wealthy. in a room that's larger than my right. house. Right. Right. That's true. Right, but he's not like richer than Donald Trump. Like that's the thing. Like in comics, if somebody is rich, they're right. either they're either poor or they're richer than Donald Trump. <laughs> or they, they or they have they have satellites in space that their company made. You know. <laughs> 
the, the, there is no in between. You're either rich or you're either poor or you're like richer than everyone. Hey, just like the real world. Okay, so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny because it's true. There is no more middle class. <laughs> Batman has kind of taken a breather from the killing count or from the from killing people the last few issues, but I think he more than makes up for it this this story when he shoves the giant statue off and. Killed yeah. at least at least five. I see at least five bodies, possibly more. Uh, yeah, last episode I went and said something stupid like, I think this, <laughs> I think this is the last you know human that he kills, and then of course oh, in this man. issue he crushes like twenty eight people. So no, uh, we'll, totally get to a, we'll get to it. We'll get to it in Batman number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kill him. just like Superman. Yep. I think. Superman... Are we going to be uh, coming back for the Clayface issue? Because I really want to talk about that one. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I you guys were going to be regular guests now, or, you know, co-hosts now. I didn't... We're covering the rest of 1940 tonight, John. Didn't you read all those right. stories? Yeah. I read every single issue <laughs> of Batman from this year and all the backup stories. Yes, of course I did. Yeah, well, good. We can just cover until crisis then, and you don't need to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm putting in my request to cover issue 49, actually, right now. <laughs> okay. Like, you, you, you guys know, like, what happens involving Robin in that issue yet, or is that a surprise? Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Even reading too much ahead. No. Okay. Okay. Th- th- that that'll be fun for you guys. <laughs> what happens with Julian Robin? Uh oh. Okay. <laughs> it's not what you think. It's no. worse. <laughs> oh. It's not what you think. It's worse. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Robin, though, after you know getting knocked out and and held hostage and all that, I did enjoy seeing him kind of hold his own there on the last page against the two. Yeah, I love that. I I, I love I love Dick Grayson beating people up because yes. the, the the idea that he's always like like the kidnapped sidekick is sort of prevalent. So I li- I like it when he I do like it when he holds his own. Yeah, and a lot of his fights are even more fun than Batman's in a way because he's more agile and acrobatic usually about it. Not you mean a thing or two. Not necessarily this panel, but in general. But um, I'm beginning to think Mike's right about Finger not being able to end a story because we got three three panels at the end with three different locations, two of which involve. Bruce Wayne, so it's like he has so he has so much to say and only half a page to do it. <laughs> this one though actually felt less awkward than the last couple we've looked at. Yeah, to me because there was no weird speeches, I guess. Right. Well, less weird anyway. Yeah. And the people of China forever prayed for Batman's well-being. <laughs> there is that one. <laughs> but I do like I do like that speech because it's it's just more of what we've been seeing lately, where the that people actually are starting to like Batman and don't consider yeah. him a, a criminal. Oh, yeah. And we still got cops shooting at him, but the the citizens of Gotham are, or I'm sorry, of New York are turning around. <laughs> Get it straight. <laughs> yeah. And, and I like that you know even though Batman is a mysterious figure. To both the good and the bad, I, I like seeing that upstanding citizens realize that they don't really have anything to, to worry about unless they break the law. Right, right. And then even then, they got a couple months before he gets around to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really like the ad at the end of the story too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know who Clayface is, but even even if I didn't, I think this ad would really amp up my excitement with the shadowed figure stalking around the corner with a gun. It's very cool. Oh yeah, as Batman runs up the stairs. Ooh, yeah. piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> but yeah, good story. It uh-huh. was kind of simple and not very deep, but I liked you know, seeing Robin go out on his own, and uh, even when Batman told him to stay at home, and it's good seeing him take some initiative, and I liked seeing Wong again, and the fight scenes were, they were okay, they served their purpose, so. Yeah, no, I liked it a lot. I was actually, I was all looking forward to 
reading Batman number one, and then here Detective came out and like really shined for me this this week. So yeah. To be stuff. honest, whenever I read this to Lily a couple months ago, we were both actually kind of sad that Wong died because he was in the in the previous issue he was in he was kind of an endearing character. Yeah, yeah and it was cool to see him panels. come back, yeah. and then suddenly he's dead. So Wong, how's it going? His <laughs> head like like like, like face palms into the desk. Wong, oh, I knew when it was Chinese font that only you could have sent it. <laughs> okay, so if you would like to read this awesome story, you can do so by buying the original, or you could buy it uh, as a reprint, as it was reprinted in Batman Archives Volume 1 in 1990 and Batman Chronicles Volume oh. 2 in 2000. So we finally we've covered one whole Chronicles so far. Cool. Yeah. Yay. Well, we haven't actually, but we will in the next hour or so. Right. Well, tonight. Right. Stay tuned. <laughs> Other stories in this issue. We have a one-page advertisement for some new book called Batman Number One. It'll uh, never last. It'll never last, right? And it's, and it's full a, of reprints anyway. Ha! No, no, no. That's that Superman guy. Um, and the caption reads: "Here it is, the first complete book, chock full of brand new adventures, Mister John Wilson, of that thrilling character, the Batman. Don't miss they it." They said the same thing about Superman Number Three. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they weren't lying about that, this one, anyway. Um, all new material, never before published, on sale April 25th at all newsstands for 10 whole cents. So look forward to that, kids. And then after that, we have six pages of Bart Regan called The Chauffeur Spy by Jerry Siegel and Maurice Kashuba. We have six pages of our new new feature, Red Logan, our newish feature, Red Logan, called Cobra on the Loose by Ken Ernst. We have another cool advertisement after that that takes up half a page, and it's for Superman Radio. Woohoo! And it says, Superman is, Superman is on the radio, sponsored by the makers of Force. And then it lists a bunch of radio stations where you can tune in that are probably no longer playing anything. Um, and then underneath it says, watch your newspaper for additional stations. Love the Superman Radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have six pages of The Crimson Avenger, now by Jack... Letty, I guess is how you say his name, called Switch the Switch. We have a monthly book review, one whole page, and it's kind of a book summary of Gulliver's, Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. It's like a just one page that summarizes the whole story for some reason. Uh, <laughs> it did that last issue, too. I guess they're just desperate for content or something. Um, then we have six pages of Speed Saunders, Ace Investigator, called The Case of the Siva Statue by Gardner Fox and Fred Gardiner. So that won't make any sense. We have <laughs> six pages of Steve Malone, District Attorney, by Don Lynch, called Morton Hijacking & Co. We have six pages of Cliff Crosby, called Larson's Boy Gets Kidnapped, by Chad Grothkoff. <laughs> uh, we have two pages of text of a text story called White Trap, written by our very own editor, Whitney Ellsworth, but he signed it as Frederick Wells. And last, we have our normal ending feature, the 10 pages of Slam Bradley, called The French, French Impersonation, and it's by Jerry Siegel and Dennis Neville, and it does not have a cool opening panel, because they've been really slacking on that lately. Yeah. So bummer. I didn't realize that Jerry Schuster... Jerry Schuster. I didn't realize that <laughs> Joe Schuster had stopped doing Slam Bradley, but... It looks like he was replaced by another Superman artist, so... 
Yeah. He was actually replaced by Mark Bailey, and then I think this is our third guy now. Or, I Mark don't know. Bagley didn't do art until the 90s. Oh, Bailey. Or B- Mark? Mark Bailey. Mark yeah. Bailey, Mark yeah. Bailey, yeah. Mark Bailey. The next issue we're going to cover is Batman number one, which was released on April 25th, 1940, and had a spring 1940 cover date. Uh, the cover is by Bob Kane, and it shows Batman gleefully swinging above a. Excuse me, it shows Batman and Robin swinging gleefully above a poorly detailed city skyline. <laughs> with and a I've, cool, with a cool Batman logo. Oh yeah, very that, cool. That Bye looks night. looks nothing like Superman's logo. I've often wondered if this was meant to be a a nod to Detective Comics number twenty seven, or if if it was just more of Kane swiping himself. I don't see how it's a not to 27, aside from the fact that he's swinging. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. I was he was swinging on rope alone, and now he's swinging on rope with Robin. Well, he wasn't alone. He had, he had a buddy with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a broken face. Yeah. A less willing buddy, yeah. Though the, the, the world may mock Bruce Wayne, timid playing boy, they will soon marvel <laughs> at the awesome might of Batman. <laughs> I always thought it was interesting that Robin had a green cape in this image. I actually yeah. thought it was a cool idea. It's sort of like a ripe banana. <laughs> If you um, there was a book, I don't remember what it was. It was a one shot around the time of Final Crisis, and it was like everyone saying, "Boy, it sure is the end of the world tonight." And they did an homage to this image, and it was uh, Tim Drake, Robin, Bruce Wayne, and uh, Nightwing all swinging, and it was uh, looked like the except like Tim was trying to keep up and like failing miserably. <laughs> I think I remember that book. I can't think of the name of it right off my hand, off top of my head. But. I think that the uh, the cover to the. Uh, the, the, the typical a lonely place of dying trade, like like they don't they don't really it's not like a, a, this image but I think that's where the the idea that that image is going for with Batman and Robin swinging because they look they look at each other in both in both images. And speaking of tributes, there's been a couple uh, a few covers that I found that were that have paid homage to it. Uh, there was Fanboy Number One from 1999 by Sergio Aragones. And there was Batman number 686 by Adam Kubert in 2009. And then a more recent cover was Darkwing Duck number 7 by a <laughs> James uh, Silvani, I think you pronounce, it's pronounced. So, And there, ha- there hasn't been a whole lot that I could find, so I'm wondering if maybe Detective number 27 gets more attention. Well, I like this cover better than Detective 27, but that's just even, me. Even... Given that it has really no background to speak of. Yeah, but the characters look better. Well, yeah. I agree. And it still doesn't really. It's not really very Batman, though. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the cover of the Batman one now, and it's nothing like that. It's him like knocking down some thugs and Killer Croc. What do you mean? What? Huh? Yeah, that's the cover of the Batman number one. I don't know what you guys are all talking about. <laughs> How timely. <laughs> Batman, yeah, volume one, number one. See, we got to keep saying that, I guess, now. Got all money. But are you sure it's volume one? It could be volume two for no reason. Like Captain <laughs> right. America comics. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. Um, no, it doesn't list a volume number. It just says Batman number one, spring 1940, published quarterly by Detective Comics Incorporated. Bummer. So, no, it's not volume one. Uh all right, so this issue has four stories in it, and Donovan is going to take the first one. So take it away, Donovan. Well, you know, nothing much happens in this issue. No one's introduced, and uh, nothing nothing we're talking about at all. But just for the sake of uh, propriety, uh, this issue begins with uh, uh, Batman. 
the mysterious and totally awesome Batman with his young ward, Robin the Boy Wonder, uh, as images on playing cards to, uh, to the left and the right of one gloved hand. In the middle is a Joker card, and the man in question holding the cards, who is looking right at us, is a ghastly figure with pitch pale white skin and green hair and ruby red lips. And the caption title reads, Batman with Robin the Boy Wonder by Bob Kane. Once again, a master criminal stalks the city streets, a criminal weaving a web of death about him, leaving stricken victims behind wearing a ghastly clown's grin, the sign of death from the Joker. Only two dare to oppose him, Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, two to battle the grim gesture called the Joker, a battle of wits with swift death, the only compromise. So um, this issue, full of death, begins um, with a two... Uh, uh, an elderly couple sitting at home reading reading the uh, newspaper and listening to the radio when suddenly uh, uh, the music is cut off a voice a toneless voice drones and you hear this man say tonight at precisely 12 o'clock midnight I will kill Henry Claridge and steal the Claridge diamond do not try to stop me the Joker has spoken so at first people around uh, the city of New York think that this is just a prank by the uh, broadcasters of the radio. But it's soon made clear that this is not a joke. Henry Claridge is freaking out at the prospect of being killed by a mysterious uh, radio announcer. So he has an entire cordon of policemen surrounding him as the clock strikes soon at midnight. Now, midnight strikes 12, and nothing happens at first. Claridge says, I'm still alive. I'm not dead. I'm safe. But then, without warning, he... Just he gasps and falls over dead, and soon there's this awful grin on his face, grotesque. The Joker brings death to his victims with a smile. So this guy gets away with it, and also uh, the Claridge diamond th- that he was proclaiming to steal has been stolen and replaced with a, a phony glass fake. And with it, the sign of the Joker, a Joker playing card. That caption that says without warning, that's a big lie. That he, he was warned. That's why he called the cops. There was a whole radio announcement. Just saying. Continue. <laughs> so you're saying he had it coming? No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's like them without warning. What do you mean without warning? They said <laughs> you're going to die at midnight. Then he dies at midnight. He didn't die without warning. <laughs> touché, touché, touché. So not far away sits a man, a man with a changeless mask, like face, but for the expert, but for the eyes burning, hate-filled eyes, this Joker is sitting around talking to himself, funnily enough, saying that he injected into Claridge a solution when he was sleeping 24 hours beforehand, so he knew that he would die, as he predicted. So Which means he, said, he crept into his bedroom at midnight the night before. Just saying it's weird. John Wilson with his uh, creeper alert. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's just right there. So a clown snuck into this man's room and injected him with a hypodermic needle, and there's nothing wrong with that. As they do. <laughs> that's, why, that's why nobody likes clowns. <laughs> because they do that all the time. If if the police expect to play against the Joker, they had best be prepared to be dumped from the bottom of the deck. So the newspapers are going wild across the city, and we cut to the home of Bruce Wayne and his and his pal Dick Grayson, aka the mysterious and totally awesome Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. But Bruce, why don't we take a shot at this Joker guy? Not yet, Dick. The time isn't ripe. But when we do, bang boom to the zoom. He doesn't say that, but he does smoke his pipe as he always does. 
shouldn't we stop this guy murdering people? Nah, let's let's wait a little bit. Let's it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> there's, there's no way to tell that he was responsible. Um so another night, another voice, and another threat. The Joker threatens a man named Jay Wild and steal the Ronker's Ruby. Not the Wild Ruby, but the Ronker's Ruby. He he proclaims that precisely uh, 12 o'clock. I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. He proclaims at exactly 10 o'clock he will kill Jay Wild. The same thing essentially happens where Jay Wild starts freaking out as the clock draws near to his death. And there are police everywhere saying that everything's going to be fine. But a gas. Everything is not fine as he as he dies after after a strange gas surrounds surrounds the entire room. Everyone is passed out, but Wilde is dead with the same ghastly grin. As the Joker pops out, disguised as a uh, as the shining knight uh, statue in the room. So that's how I got away with that. Thank you all, gentlemen. You have me happy too. We shall meet again. So the Joker gets away with this, and. Not only do people around the city start talking about this ghastly murderer, but the criminal element as well. A man named Brute Nelson is saying that the Joker is uh, cutting it too close to his racket, so he won't let him get away with that. He thinks that the Joker is, quote, a yeller rat. So such language dictates violence, obviously. Batman says he's actually going to check out the home of Brute Nelson so he can, I don't know, try to do something about this Joker guy. And while Nelson is saying, talking to himself, saying that he's going to make him a joke all right, the Joker pops in and interrupts his talking to himself and threatens his life. But Batman's on the scene and quickly jumps in to save the, the gangster's life and battles his henchmen. Have a seat, boys. There's enough room on this chair for two, as he smacks them with a chair. The Joker doesn't want to waste any Joker venom on this gangster, so he just shoots him point blank. As he runs to his getaway car, the Batman jumps behind him, and a chase ensues. Batman, uh... Uh, keeps the Joker from shooting him, and the car crashes off a bridge. The, the Joker starts punching and pummeling and kicking Batman until he finally falls off off the bridge and into the water below. With the Joker thinking Batman dead, Batman surmises, saying that it seems at last we have met a foe that can give me a good fight. However, I'm not licked yet. Not quite. Hey, that rhymed. So, <laughs> once more, the Joker delivers his message of doom and threatens Judge Drake because he wants him into prison. He says that he will he will kill the man at 10 o'clock, and they both realize that at 8 o'clock. Um, so while the judge is freaking out, as everyone every victim has, that he's going to die, the chief of police says, hey, don't worry, listen, let's play cards to pass the time. I have a memory everywhere. You'll be just fine. So while the, the, um, the judge says that he needs the ace of spades to win the game, the, the chief pulls out a joker card and saying, you can't win anyway. You see, I hold the winning card. And we know, learn that this man is actually the joker in disguise. So he kills the judge and injects him with, by injecting him with the Joker venom. And the police are too late in finding that he's won again. But r- right outside, Robin the Boy Wonder is uh, spying, looking for clues, and sees the, the fake judge sneak into an abandoned house. Before he can do anything, a crushing blow from behind fells Robin, and the Joker captures him. Batman follows the footsteps with his infrared uh, flashlights. Not a bat flashlight, but an infrared flashlight. And crashes through the window just before the Joker uh, injects Robin with some venom toxin. They start fighting and tumbling, and then Joker, he falls into a chemical table, and electric flame starts and starts a gigantic fire. The Joker reaches for his gun and shoots Batman with the venom gas, thinking that Batman is doomed to die laughing. But the Joker did not reckon with the amazing recuperative powers of the mighty Batman, and saves Robin from the fire. The two track down the Joker, 
and a, a fight in series with the Joker saying, why won't you die? Shooting him several times in Point Blake in the chest. But hasn't the Joker ever heard of a bulletproof vest? So while he hasn't heard about that, he, his gun falls into empty and Batman starts chasing him. The Joker, the Joker runs to an abandoned construction site where Robin is waiting for him and kicks him off. The Joker thinks he's going to die, but Batman grabs him and knocks him out. You've played your last hand, Joker. With a final blow, all the strength of the Batman behind it, the Joker is defeated. He is thrown in jail, and while we cut to um, Robin saying, at home, Dick Grayson saying, but what I'd like to know is how the victim's mouth turned up in that terrible grin. Some sort of trick, some sort of drug that pulled the muscles of the face. The Joker was a clever but diabolical killer, too clever and too deadly to be freed. But even as Bruce speaks at the state prison, the Joker is planning, plotting for his escape. They can't keep me here. I know of a way out. The Joker will have the last laugh. And we end the issue with this blurb. The Amazing Batman, America's most famous adventure strip character, with that sensational new discovery, that laughing young daredevil Robin, the boy wonder, will thrill you every month with their astounding exploits in detective comics. The end. Yay. Welcome, Joker. Um, right off the bat... We get uh, right off the bat. I always say that. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, right off the bat, we get the uh, the bat logo is back, which made me very happy. Very cool. Um, it looks much better en- up enjoy there. Enjoy that feeling while it lasts. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, uh, but it's a cool splash page in general. I think um, they're kind of taking a little bit of a shortcut with you know Joker's back to us. But otherwise, it looks pretty good. Yeah, it's a bit awkward, I think. Uh, he, he sort of looks like a hunchback. But I, I like what they were going for with the Joker holding the three cards, even though it. I, I think my biggest beef with it is that it spoils the Joker reveal later on in the issue, because you see him right yeah. there. Yeah. But um. But that's kind of a thing they do in Golden Age is they always show yeah. you the, the entire story right up front and then. Yeah. And then go yeah, into yeah. it. So. But yeah, that would have been cooler to probably not know who he was exactly. But. I like that he's facing the reader because it sort of shows that showman element to the character that he's always sort of like putting on a performance right it's one of those things that kind of is there from the beginning and sticks to the end in the conversation between the old couple there's a really nice george orwell reference yes uh with uh the uh exactly what are his words something about the war of the worlds radio show i forget yeah but george but george orwell didn't have anything to do with that or wells or well see that's what my brain did okay so the conversation between the elderly couple there's a really nice Orson Welles reference with the War of the Worlds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, if it wasn't for Orson Welles and his little screw-up, all these people might have lived. This is true. Lousy radio. Orson Welles actually gets his own guest spot in a future Superman story, so stay tuned. (laughs) That's not Superman music. We also have yet another millionaire in this city. So add that to the on, count. They keep on coming. Like like everyone's a millionaire in in uh, New York town. Yeah. Yeah. That, we're gonna have a lot of new counts now that the the, <laughs> the, the killing count is gone. Um, I thought it was kind of funny that Joker announces on the radio he's gonna kill some guy named Henry, and then the woman turns over to Henry and says, "Hey Henry, did you hear that?" <laughs> and at first, at, at first I thought that was the Henry, that was supposed to be the Henry they were talking about, but it ended up just being another Henry. I was just thinking. I was, I was just thinking. Why? Why not write? Thinking, write? You know, a different name for that guy. It just doesn't make well, the, sense. The guy at the beginning of the last story was named Henry as well. Yeah. They were Maybe probably writing the story like, page by page. 
Yeah. And like when they wrote that page, they intended for the guy to be Henry, and then they're like, ah, actually, no, never mind. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's just a little thing, but it it kind of derailed me for a second there. But uh, anyway, it's always best to write your stories one page at a time. Anyway, right. Never to, know to avoid continuity carryover. Right. Never know how your story ends. That's what I always say. <laughs> would Would the police really send eleven officers though to protect one guy from a at a random death threat? He's rich. Yeah, he's rich. There you go. Well, yeah, but still. Yeah. So are all the police officers. <laughs> They're all uh, millionaires. You just didn't know. Yeah, really, probably. The millionaires Club. These are the security. When a millionaire demands something, he gets it. This uh, is true. He's probably paying the mayor. This is very Joker, though, to announce his intentions ahead of time and get everybody all riled up and scared. And Yeah, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I really, really like this story with the whole modus operandi of announcing who's going to die and when and having planned it ahead of time so that it times out just right. Right. I think it's it's very sinister and very cool. Mm-hmm. This is actually, this is actually the story that they looked at uh, when writing The Joker in the Dark Knight. They, they looked at this uh, this first issue and adapted that theme of like announcing what he's going to do while trying to carry it out. And actually had Jerry, they actually had Jerry Robinson on as a consultant. You can see him in the credits. Well, they've also retold the story in uh, uh, the man uh, who laughs. The man who laughs, right? By right. Uh, by the Brubaker. Man who laughs, by Brubaker. Was, uh, which was intended to be. Uh, they retold it, but there was lots of changes. So it's oh yeah. Like, but, but yeah, like yeah, the man who laughs, which was Brubaker. sold like sold in the media as Batman's first encounter with the Joker, but actually no, because that Batman Confidential story, I think it was called Death of Maidens. That's Batman's first encounter with the Joker. Death, oh no, Death wait a minute. When... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Legends of the Dark Knight issue fifty. That's his first encounter with the Joker. <laughs> Calm down, Tiger. There are no, well, four different stories, which are all claiming to be the first encounter with the Joker. That's why I hate these. Sequences. And those are just the ones that you remember. Yeah, no. Legends of well, the Dark Knight fifty was a nineties thing. Then Man Who Last was two thousand and five, and Death and Maidens was a few years. Death and Maidens was the Rachel Gould story. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. What was the one from Batman Confidential? I know what you're talking about. I, I don't remember the name. And I don't, I don't think Dark Knight. I don't think Confidential was even in continuity. It was billed as Batman's first encounter with the Joker. This is like the new continuity. It was Joker screaming "Bunny at the moon," though. Yeah. It's every, every one they do is the new continuity. Every single time, like I'm, I'm just sick of this whole DC trope of this is how these characters first met. You get to see it at last for the first time, as if someone's gonna read it thinking, "Ooh, okay, so all these years, like we we've never seen this, and they're just showing it to us now. That's awesome." Well, if it makes you feel any better, this really is the first time these characters. <laughs> right. And, yes. and, and I would be totally happy if that's how they played it. Because yeah. that's how Marvel does it. When, yeah. yeah, I mean, how many times have they retold and altered and changed and updated the first meeting between Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy? Or the first time that the Green Goblin pulled Spider Man out to the desert and hit him on the head with a rock? Yeah, right. as ridiculous as those stories are, those are like, those are in continuity. You know, like maybe, you know, Flash didn't go to Vietnam, but, you know, maybe he went somewhere else. But. These stories all still happened, but they're, we're probably going to get another new Batman and Joker first meeting story, which will bring the count up to five, which is four too many. It'll be in Batman number one, just like here. Right. But I, I love in this story, I really love the the build up to the Joker. And again, it's it's uh, spoiled by the splash, but 
you get the nice buildup with the threat and then the uh, the death and the ghastly smile on the victim and finally revealing the actual Joker on page three. So I yeah. really like the way they kind of built up yeah. to that. Real quick, that 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 uh, that, that body of uh, Claridge at the end of page two that actually really creeped me out when I was a kid. It's a very, oh, yeah. very vicious looking uh, corpse. It is a creepy way to kill people. I mean, it still is, no matter how much you see it. Mm-hmm. I didn't read this until after I had seen the Tim Burton film, which was the only time I'd seen the Joker killing people with his laughing with his laughing gas. So that really creeped me out in the Burton film. And to huh. find out that that was a, a hail all the way back to these early stories was was pretty awesome for me. Well, it's also that 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 uh, O'Neill brought it back, or was it or was it, or was it Englehart? Like it, it was brought back in the Bronze Age before. The modern age, but yeah, it, it is it is like like something that, that was there from the very beginning. Uh, but then at the end of this page, we got something I know Mike's gonna hate is once again Bruce Wayne <laughs> deciding to hold off and and wait a little while yeah. before he, he goes out there and, and does something. While people about are dying, right? People are dying. He needs to get out there and and start. Not yeah. only are are people dying, but the Joker is telling you when they are going to die. I'm going to kill people. Yeah, who yeah. they are, where they are, and he just decides let's just let the body count. Get a little higher before I yeah. invest my interest. It's in it. not like the sec. It's not like Jay Wild was uh, like poisoned the day before. Like if Bruce would have shown up there, like the Joker came out of that metallic night armor, Batman could have stopped it. It's not like oh he's already been poisoned. Right. And it's not like the plot just ignores this whole question and, and makes Bruce Wayne wait five days. Dick asks him why why aren't we going and he's like oh we're just gonna <laughs> wait. I, I need the to refill my right. pipe. Yeah, yeah and, let, me, let me finish this pipe first. And even if he, he did come too late and the guy was, like, already dead, you could still investigate, you know, or look for clues on who the Joker is or maybe, like, uh, I don't know, come up with an antidote for this weird way he's killing people or, or something, you know. Look at the crime scene. Look at the body. Right. On this first appearance of the Joker, though, I, I always am a little bit bothered by the actual writing because it says not far away, so it's a man, a man with a changeless mask-like face, but for the eyes, burning, you know, hate-filled eyes. To to describe the Joker as having a changeless mask-like face, whenever his main characteristic is bursting into a huge grin, <laughs> right? You know, it, it's just like it's it's a little bit strange to me. On, on the right. same page, no less. Right, right. So he's the opposite of changeless. Right. Well, that's one thing that that, that that seems to be kind of inconsistent, or used to be that the Joker, the, the idea that the Joker always had a smile on his face no matter what, like that's that's the, the most the most obvious representation of that is the Burton film, mm-hmm. which I still I still don't know how they, exactly they, they did that with Jack Nicholson, but um, I think it goes back and forth of whether he Botox. Can his face or not. <laughs> Botox. Lots of it. Fish hooks. So, Mike, do we want to talk about the uh, the big elephant in the corner with the creation stuff, or do we want to wait to the end of the? Oh, let's just do it now. This is the first okay. first official appearance of in story of of the Joker. Right. And guess what, kids? Nobody can agree on who created the Joker either. <laughs> I actually was Gasp. Bob um, Everyone knows it was Bob Kane. Right. It was. It was definitely Bob Kane. Um, well, speaking of Kane, Cade says. He and Finger came up with the idea based on a photograph of Conrad uh, – I'm going to butcher his last name. Veit. Veit. Yeah. Conrad Veit from The Man Who Laughs. That was – that apparently uh, Finger had a, a book with a picture of him in it. And Jerry Robinson came up with just the playing card, again, according to Bob Kane. Um, Robinson said that he created the, 
entirety of the Joker based on this playing card he had. And then he gave a drawing of the Joker to Finger, who said, hey, that looks like Conrad Veidt in my book. And so really it was Jerry who came up with the whole thing. Um, and then, so at least between the two of them, they all agree that Conrad Veidt played some sort of role in... in uh, the visual look of the character, yeah. The visual look of the character. But then we have Bill Finger's son, Fred, who said that his father was inspired by a Steeplechase Park Coney Island advertisement that had a, <laughs> a weird a weird guy with a grin. I, I, I did not hear about, about that last story. That's a little random. No, I've, I, I've looked at that, and it doesn't look like a clown. It looks like a dude, just a regular guy with like you know a part down the middle and a brunette and all that, and then with a bow tie, but then he has this ridiculously hideous grin. So I'm wondering if maybe... You know, Fred Finger just got that wrong, and really, was what was inspired from that picture was maybe how they, these people die. That could be it. I I tend to go on the idea that that it was Robinson who came up with the idea, and then showed Conrad Veidt to to Bob Kane, Bill Finger, because he does look like Conrad Conrad Veidt if you've seen that picture of that movie. Mm-hmm. But Robinson is is like the only one that's still alive, and not not to say that you know the person who told the truth is the person who lives along this, but. <laughs> Yeah, the last man standing gets the right yeah. history. And Finger, you know, he's been gone the longest, and he didn't really give that many interviews about the creation stuff. So there's there's very little of his side of the story coming. Yeah, he, he died him. like he died when he was still working in DC in like 1974. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, there's that. Like apparently, you know, just just chalk it up to all three of them working together. Maybe that might sound nicer. Um. <laughs> But uh, the Joker just stealing diamonds for the sake of stealing diamonds and, and you know getting wealthy, I guess, isn't very Joker-like to me. So I don't think they quite have down you know what they want him to be yet. I mean, he's certainly stolen things in the past to fund his his craziness because he needs money. But to be crazy. <laughs> but he but he's not he's not stealing these for a bigger picture, you know, to to buy a nuclear bomb to destroy the world or anything like that. He's, he's just stealing diamonds because he likes, he just wants money. He likes pretty shiny things. So yeah, he's addicted to the night. He's addicted to shiny objects and addicted to Batman. Most of all, he's addicted to danger. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I like that one. Well, Sorry. I, I think the Joker is somebody who can like do whatever without, without much rhyme or reason for it. Right. Well, again, this is, 1940 and you know comics were a different medium and the audience was different the joker is killing and robbing for the sake of killing and robbing because that's what makes for a story these this wasn't meant to be like deeply examined they didn't say people people will be talking about this in 70 or 80 years on a podcast no yeah that's um on my show my superman show i've been doing a lot of uh creator spotlights and reading the interviews and stuff that they gave later in their career one thing i've realized is when they were doing these stories, they weren't they weren't making history. They were just making a life. You know, they were just living their life and supporting their families. So we, you know, it's most of them didn't even like that they were working in comics. So right, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a respected medium then. Not that saying it is now, but uh, there was a there was a kind of a stigma attached to it then. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and that's not to say that this Joker isn't completely unrelated to the Joker as we know him today, because there's a lot of you know, good Joker qualities in this story. I like. Oh yeah. I like that he 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 could just be robbing robbing people of their stuff, but he goes out of his way to make this theatrical, you know, situation about it. Like he has to announce it ahead of time and scare uh-huh. everybody, and you know, the whole city's freaked out. And then, like on this page five here, he he's hiding in the armor, which I thought was freaking hilarious. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's just a really cool visual. Um, 
Yeah, he's he's a he's a chemical genius and a master of disguise, which yeah. are things that, that that stay in there later on. Well, it's just so simple and funny. Like they're all just sitting there, and they don't notice that he's inside the armor. And then yeah, um, I that's one of the things I like about the Joker is he can be you know horrific and funny all at the same time. Here here he, he's in a suit of armor. He's holding the helmet in his in his in his hand, and he's like gunning down the entire room. So right, <laughs> awesome. It's the cool. uh, the panel where the Joker is talk, talking to uh, what's his name? I don't know what his name is. The dead the, body the, there. The judge? Yeah, the dead body. That was kind of creepy. Yeah. Oh, that that, that that shot of this cop that that was that creeped me out more than like uh, the the uh, the first time. That that that's a really scary image. Yeah, and I never really liked the scene in uh, Tim Burton's Batman where he was talking to the fried body of Rotelli either. Oh really? I love that scene. Uh, it's just kind of creepy. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and creepy. That's what I'm saying. It's like the Joker, the, the the perfect Joker is when he's being creepy and funny all at the same time. Like you're laughing and you know you shouldn't be. Well, that's the thing about the Joker is that like he, you know, like it's it's very it's a very obvious sort of like a subtext, but like you know, oh, he's a clown. He should be happy, or whatever. But he's just like you know, unholy, like 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 bringer of death that is like completely threatening, and you do not want to mess with this thing whatsoever it's like it's it's interesting how ramped up it is like like not even from the very beginning but just 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 in essence the fact that well batman is is a scary guy who fights for the good and the joker is this clown who is like you know like like the devil on earth almost it's interesting to see see those ideas being put put even as early as this i always look forward to seeing him in a book yeah a lot of times he's kind of People tend to write him like really lazily in the sense that he just kills, 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 kills. Where um, I think one of, one of the best uh, modern interpretations of, of him was in Batman and Robin, where he turned up to be like this uh, detective, like in the skies. Like you did, for issues, you didn't you did not know it was him until he was a mask because he wanted to find Batman. I thought that was brilliant. On page five, we get the 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 reaction of the criminal element to the Joker. And it's it's not really fear. Kind of in today's stories, I think the, the Joker inspires fear in the criminals as well. But this guy is or this here. It's more like, hey, who's this guy muscling in on our turf? You know. Yeah. Nobody yeah. nobody likes the Joker. That's what's cool about him. He's just a wild yeah. card. You know. Not to be not to do a, not to do a Joker pun, but you're, yeah. you're doing more card puns than they did. Yeah. Right. But that's the thing. He shows up and you have no idea what he's going to do, and he's not going to do anything to benefit anybody. So you can't work with him. You know, at least yeah. with like Lex Luthor or something, you know, he's good for a paycheck or whatever. He can hire you out to do stuff, and the Joker is going to end up killing. Kill you. He's going to end up killing you in the end. Well, Lex Luthor too, I guess. But I also like the fact that the Joker is wearing his like snazzy trench coat and and like and like hat. Mm-hmm. I, I always love that. Outfit. I really like the hat. Didn't uh, didn't Jack Napier wear a hat like that in like at least one scene from the Tim Burton film? Absolutely. Yeah. He did. He did in that film, and also in. The, in fact, Mass of the Phantasm, which I think looks the best. And... Mm-hmm. But Batman screws up being a ninja for the first time, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I thought that was funny. I wasn't oh. as sad as I hoped. Just to, just to jump back a couple panels. Before right. that, we get a reference to Batman says, um, I heard some news today over the grapevine that makes me think the time is ripe. And I kind of like that they're hinting that Batman keeps his ear on the criminal criminal grapevine. At least that's what I kind of pulled from it. Right, he knows that Patches there are... Malone doesn't exist yet, but maybe right. someone does. Right. He has a lot of friends. Um, and once again, he leaves Robin behind, so I'm kind of yeah. really... I'm really surprised at how often that's happening up front here. 
Not a very auspicious beginning for the laughing daredevil. Uh-uh. <laughs> He's like, where are you going? Uh, nowhere. Nowhere. Are you just there. Batman. You know the rules. There are times where I can't explain my actions even to you. <laughs> but great panel of Batman jumping over the stairs and tackling into these guys on. Oh, that's an awesome panel. Yeah. I guess page six. Yeah. yeah. It it should have been a larger panel. Um, yeah. Because the next the next page where there is a larger panel of Batman completing his jump is less cool, but it's larger. So. Yeah. Plus, there's a quip, which I didn't really care for. <laughs> well, he's more of a laughing daredevil than Robin is. Really, he he yeah. smarts off a lot. Yes. Well, that's where Robin gets it. I mean, Robin figures out how to do it, and then Batman shuts up after that, yeah. <laughs> and then starts yeah. resenting it because it reminds him of when he was less mature in his career. And that's yeah. why he kicks Robin off the team, and he becomes Nightwing. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> the Joker here just exists. We don't know anything about his past, but we get like a hint when he talks about uh, the judge that he's killing. He's killing him because the judge sentenced him to jail time previously. Mm-hmm. So that shows right. that this guy does have a history in. Right. That's the only even small clue we get about his origin in mm-hmm. these stories. And you don't know if that was before or after he became this Joker-looking guy. or Right. I was gonna say, should we, impl- should we infer that it's it's before he became the Joker, since I would everyone assume, seems to? I would assume so, based on what we know of him now. But I don't know. Yeah, I kind I kind of like that. We don't know. I don't really want to know the definitive version of the Joker. I know the Killing Joke was presumed to be, but but they had they had that back door that says, ah, if I had the original, it would be multiple choice. So I, I would prefer not knowing because I, I yeah, think that multiple something. choice line was a nice way I thought to. Uh-huh kind of bring together the various origins that they've put out there over the years. Yes. They haven't really put out that many over the years. How they uh, brought it into the the Dark Knight. How he, like, gave how he got his scars several times. Mm Mm-hmm. He kept lying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I much prefer not really knowing much about the Joker. I think it works better. And in 1940, I don't think we need to know. This is a bad guy. He looks like a clown. If this was somebody who like never appeared ever again after this, and we were rereading this book, we wouldn't question anything. Like how this guy get like this or anything. The only reason why we question it is because he became such an iconic character. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we haven't got any origins on any of Batman's foes at this point. So really, seeing Joker shoot Nelson was a nice addition. I thought, though maybe not intended as such. Um, the rest of Joker's kills have been, you know, from gas or poison or whatever. Uh, more subtle ways, but uh, him shooting him shooting Nelson to me shows that Joker isn't above getting his hands dirty and kind of resorting to uh, uh, flying by the seat of his pants if he needs to. Yeah. Because the rest of his kills have been very planned out, it seems. Right. You guys a nice home for for a gangster. At <laughs> least in Bruce Wayne's living room. Uh, that's why you become a gangster so you can get a nice home. Yeah. On the page, I don't know that exact number of it. Uh, but the page where Batman busts in and saves Robin from Joker almost injecting him with the Joker toxin. I've actually seen that that, that image, re, not reprinted, but redone a lot various times. And actually redone around like the 60s and 70s for some reason, but I'm not sure why. Huh. That third but, panel is a pretty solid image of him punching the Joker. There's a there's a publicity uh, like collage of a bunch of Batman Golden Age images. I don't remember what it was for, but it had that image on it. Oh, okay. I, I like that quip though. You may be you may be the Joker, but I'm the King of Clubs. Nice. I love how like the mortality of this. Like if Batman had literally been two seconds later, Robin would have been dead. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's yeah. a good thing that he had that invention on the previous page that filters out the hundreds of other people's footprints from the city who've walked down that sidewalk and only focuses on the footprints that he needs. No, no, it says that he specifically painted yeah. Robin's feet. Did it say that? Yeah, it does say that. Yeah. See? Well, a bit far-fetched and wouldn't really work in real life, but yeah. You're um, right, it does, right? I, I must have breezed through that section. Not that I've ever done that before on Classics. <laughs> like like one episode where you did it three or four times. Missed a detail or here or three. <laughs> but uh to go back after the Joker steals what just might be Batman's car. I, I don't yeah. really <laughs> yeah, I was totally too. clear on that. But um the Joker and the Batman are fighting and the Joker just completely owns Batman. Yeah. He's punching him and then he kicks him off the bridge. Batman hardly lands a punch at all. There That's another thing that I, I quite like about Batman and Joker uh, uh, tumbles because I, I really like when they fight, and I also like when Joker kind of puts up a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, not not because he's a martial artist, but because he's so wild and unpredictable. Right. I think it makes sense whenever he can sort of like not go to toe to toe, but like put up a fight with Batman. And like you know, Mad Love is one story where like they beat the crap out of each other, and you 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 buy it just because there's there's so there's such enemies. Well, and Batman just. Constantly says all the time, you know, I underestimate how fast he is or how mm-hmm. strong he is because he's just this, you know, skinny, wiry looking guy. But yeah, he's just crazy, so he doesn't care how hard he hits you or, you know, and he's um, he's always like getting one up on Batman, even though he isn't necessarily considered a, you know, physical villain per se. But yeah. there's always there's always at least a moment where he manages to get a good punch in or or something. Yeah. He doesn't really become all that skinny even until like the Killing Joke, I think. I think before then he was like. Fairly medium built. Yeah, but he, he's not—you know—he's not considered some martial artist or, or anything like no. that. So. No. Page seven also has—I don't know if Mike noticed this—but the last panel it says, "The shock of the cold water quickly revives the Dark Knight," which is the first time he's been oh. called the Dark Knight. Awesome. Nope. Comics. I, I saw that in your notes. Nope, I didn't get—I didn't catch that. So you win on that one. That's awesome. Would you keep track of how many times Bradley wins? Um, every time, I think. This, no, so I think far, this is so. the first time I've won anything. Yeah, no. But anyway, <laughs> we'll, we should record these, and then we'll we'll be able to listen back and know. Um, yeah, we should record them. That would be a good yeah. idea. Whoops. You're recording right now? Whoops. Yeah, I am. I, <laughs> I better go before I say something incriminating. <laughs> um, I love, again, here's some more, you know, fun, just funny Joker where he's like, uh, you know, impersonating this chief of police. Um, in a very awesome panel, yeah. In a very awesome panel, but I mean, it's it's part creepy and just part hilarious that he's just been there the whole time, and, <laughs> and the guy looks up and oh hey it's me, I really like that, and he looks way yeah. creepier in flesh color and mustache. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, he, you, you can tell us the Joker just just by that face. Yeah, I, I like the fact that he does get kind of desperate at the end because I like seeing the Joker not always. I like I like seeing seeing the Joker lose his cool. Because I think I think it's just just like how Batman can be sort of like flanderized or just like Batman can be sort of like uh, written to be like invincible and everything at times, mm-hmm. and and he can he's really human. I like seeing the Joker kind of mess up, and like when his gun runs out of bullets, he starts freaking out. I like I like seeing him sort of on the run. Yeah, because he's not. I mean, he is Mister Plan, but at the same time, he's kind of crazy, so he just does whatever on a whim. So it's nice to see him just mess up and 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 react to it. So what do you what do you think of Batman saving him? Is this the first time he saved a, a villain from dying? Because I know I know he turned in Doctor Death after the second time. Death to Doctor Death. 
No, he doesn't save him this issue, this story. He just arrests him. Well, Robin kicked him off the thing, and he grabbed him. Right oh, you're him. right, you're right, you're right. Um, yeah, I don't know. We've talked about that before, like, at least initially when Batman was just killing left and right, and yet he would arrest the main bad guy and drop him off at the police station. So it's like it's okay to kill the thugs, but not the, the main bad guy, I guess. I don't that know. was in The Dark Knight, too, now that I think about it. Joker falling from a construction site and Batman saving him? Yeah. My God. Is this the first mention of Batman wearing a bulletproof vest? Yes. No. No. No, no after, so. after he got shot, then the next issue, they talked about him putting on a bulletproof vest. But very, 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 very shortly, he's going to get rid of it. And he's going to say that he does it because it, it, it impedes his flexibility. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's actually, yeah, there's, there's a Golden, Golden Age story where they, 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 they explain that. And, um, well, that's not I don't very know smart what... after getting shot and, you know, <laughs> learning the hard way that he needs to wear it. Well, he ran like, right towards him and took all those bullets. Yeah. He would have had a different attack pattern if he had not been wearing it. <laughs> well, yeah, even that's a bit uh, of a stretch because even if you are wearing a bulletproof vest, you just can't take no a round can't. of yeah no the, the, yeah, the impact. In yeah. fact, there there was actually an issue of Batman like around the Bruce Wayne murder future era where like he to save someone's life he like he like jumps in front and takes a bunch of bullets and it hurts each and every time even though his costume is bulletproof. So that that that, that disproves this school news story, all right. I was kind of trying to look up bulletproof vests and especially of this era and see how they work exactly, and because it seems like weird that he can just take five or six shots in the chest and not get slowed down at all. But I don't know. I didn't really find anything. It just seems to me that a bulletproof vest wouldn't work like this. But no, <laughs> the fact that he's wearing a bulletproof vest tells us that he's actually wearing a sculpted bulletproof vest because he still has the pecs and abs going on. Right. <laughs> Joe Schumacher made it for him. Yeah. <laughs> there are nipples on it. <laughs> um, Go ahead. I just thought it was a cool parallel that uh, Joker does get two stories in this issue, just like Luthor got two stories in his first issue of Superman, and each of those characters went on to be that hero's biggest villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you saying that, that someone ripped off another person? Uh. No, because even though this came out a couple months after Superman number four, I'm pretty sure they were being prepared in tandem, and didn't. And then you know history didn't rip each other off because the Joker could have faded into obscurity after this. Totally could have just become a Doctor Strange kind of villain, Doctor Strange, Professor Strange kind of villain. <laughs> just like right. Luthor could have become an ultra humanite, but he didn't. Right. Change well, he kind of did actually. <laughs> he became the ultra humanite. But without turning into a girl and fading away. <laughs> so speaking of Superman, there's this very Superman-esque moment where where the Joker exposes Batman to nerve or Joker toxin, and and the panel just says that he's so awesome that he just shrugs it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, His amazing recuperative powers. Yeah. That, that just made me ug a little bit because. <laughs> that, that's that's just silly. It would have been cooler if he had some sort of antidote or. I don't know what. And Those the man bullets. who laughs, when that actually happens, and you right. see his perspective of that Joker gas, where everybody looks weird. He's, he's struggling to overcome it. Right, and they you know, have an antidote, so that made more sense. But Looking back, I can't help but wonder if Finger wasn't trying to make Batman more than human. I mean, he's been really strong and really fast in the, lately. Yeah. The steel muscles. And now he's overcoming the Joker gas. But I also wonder if it wasn't just finger trying to keep up with superman and the other super superheroes that have been popping up 
Well, I can sort of roll with it just because uh, all the people that the Joker killed with the gas have been like sort of like fat old old guys, and Batman's supposed to be like like you know the epitome of uh, human potential, in a in a sense. Not, yeah. not, not 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 to say that that's the the idea, but I think that's what he's gonna, trying to do. Yeah. And I love the fourth panel on page eleven. It's a very Adam West moment. You can almost <laughs> hear the theme music uh, starting up, and even the dialogue in that panel feels very Adam West series to me. Yeah. Definitely, I thought the same thing. It's really fun it stuff. Lo- looks like they're they're running the the one minute mile. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Batman, I've I got a cramp. <laughs> right. And uh, speaking of Superman, yet again, I'm amused that uh, Batman had the bullets don't harm you, so I'll just throw the gun at your head thing. That <laughs> right. Superman does. Right. It's become such a cliche with the George Reeves series. Yeah. No, what's his name? Did it in Action Thirteen that you and I covered on your show recently? I thought that taxi. That, that was after no. Uh, huh? He just Superman crushed the gun. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that is silly. You, you shoot a guy five times, he doesn't fall down. But if you throw the gun, <laughs> if you throw the gun at him, it'll probably knock him right yeah. over. This is an interesting question. When you read this story, whose voice do you hear for Joker? Da da da. I actually had a note about that because there's a couple references in the story to um, the Joker's like droning voice, and mm-hmm. you don't really get the idea that it's the cackling loon that we you, you kind of think of now, like Mark Hamill. Um, you think more of, you know, maybe not um, Jack Nicholson, but more the solemn kind of quieter voice. Actually, I actually hear a uh, creepy voice. I think his name is Joe Bennett, the guy who does it on The Brave and the Bold. I actually think he's perfect for that kind of. That old school Joker, and I actually do hear his voice when I when I uh, read these old issues. I need to see more what, of that cartoon. What about you, Mike? I don't really hear voices in my head, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they, all, they all sound like yourself. It sounds like such a sane thing to say. <laughs> but as far as favorite voices for the Joker go, I think Mark Hamill, hands down, for me. Oh, yeah. um, I hear Mark Hamill in this story. Yeah. Most definitely. it's uh, And that might be a generational thing, because that's the Joker Probably. that I grew up watching, but... Mark Hamill is my definitive Joker, even more so than Heath Ledger. It depends on the era, really, because I, if I'm reading like a Bronze Age and up modern Batman book, I will hear Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. But if I'm re- if I'm reading a Silver Age Hamill book, I don't I don't hear their voices. I hear I hear the Super Friends voices. So overall, I thought it was a pretty good um, story. I found myself, you know, again doing the is this what the Joker would do? Not really. Yes, really. You know, so the 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 jewel stealing stuff just for that the sake of that that didn't ring true for me but otherwise i liked it i liked the you know the theatrics and he made me laugh a few times which is always good and um he's i could definitely see why he would be a, a villain that would that would take off because he was certainly different than anything we've read before i like the fact that in the last the last image of him in jail is him laughing it's like yep. even though he's 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 lost he, he still is is up about himself yep you know he's coming back <laughs> it's, it's a really great introduction to the guy that's going to go on to become the most famous and iconic of Batman's rogue he gallery. He will kill one of Batman's psychics. Oh wait, he will Eventually, shoot one of yeah. Batman's psychics. Oh wait. And it's interesting. We kind of touched on it earlier, but it's interesting how little the Joker changes visually between here and, and the Bronze Age. Um, you know, his face gets more cartoon-like, but the basic look of the style of clothing—the purple suit with the tails and the the spats and the string tie—that remains pretty consistent. At least how I view the iconic Joker. Yeah. Right, yeah. He does seem, I think, less insane than later versions. And I don't know if any of you picked on that either. 
Yeah, the, the, oh, the yeah, whole, yeah, definitely. The whole psychological sanity right. tone of Batman, I think it's ramped up in the 80s. Well, personally, uh, I've never really thought of him as insane. I, I don't know. I guess it depends. Really? <laughs> well, not... I mean, he is, I guess, but he seems highly functional and able to plan his, you know, all his stuff, and he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's thought, psychotic. He's definitely a psychopath, yeah, I guess. Right. But, you know, so are heads of big businesses, so... Psychopath, a monster. Yeah, you know, it's just... Um, yeah, I guess he's. I guess when they say crazy, I, I think of like a guy in a straight jacket who who's you know seeing pink elephants or something. But right, no, Which he's not like that. The Joker has in, in some issues, yes. <laughs> so it does depend. On, I think it does depend on the era, though. Certainly, I mean, I think if you were to read this and not find him insane, you couldn't. You certainly could not be blamed for it. Right. Well, you know, like uh, the the stealing jewelry thing. That's not very insane. But then the the whole him having to be the center of attention and make sure everybody knows that he's a, a criminal and a killer. That's pretty insane. So so he's there. So if we want to read this story and can't afford a Batman number one, where can we read it? Oh, we can afford a Batman number one. It's, um, it's going to be out for $2.99. Going to line at $2.99. I, saw, yeah. I saw that coming. <laughs> it is reprinted in the Great Comic Book Heroes hardcover from 1965 that my daughter brought home from the library one day batman from the 30s to the 70s hardcover from 1971 that our good friend michael bailey used for his first exposures to batman famous first edition f5 of course that reprints the entire batman number one i don't know if you want to do the just the places where this story was done by itself or if you want to do, I don't all know, we can the... do the whole thing yeah okay I, I think that famous first edition was tabloid sized was it not i think yeah all the famous first editions were tabloid sized yeah. That was a cover dated 1974, but it probably came out in 1973. No, September 5th, 1974. Never mind. Um, greatest Joker stories ever told. Hardcover from 1989 and trade oh, yeah. paperback from 1989. Batman The Dark Knight Archives Volume 1 hardcover from 1992. The Millennium Edition written, uh, version of Batman Number 1, That whenever they were doing all those Millennium Editions in early 2001. Then Batman Chronicles, like Don said, uh, Volume 1, trade paperback from 2005. And Joker, The Greatest Stories Ever Told, which is different from The Greatest Joker Stories Ever Told. And that was released in 2008 as a trade paperback. Very cool. Um, so next we have a two-page humor strip featuring you know, the, the, the very famous Major Bigsby and Bots, which nobody's ever heard of. By, uh, <laughs> I have the Major Bigsby and Bots archive edition. <laughs> right, the omnibus yeah. by uh, by Paul Gustafson, and then it jumps right back into yet another Batman story that uh, Mr. John M. Wilson is going to cover for us tonight. Yes, so. our second feature in this issue is Batman by Bob Kane. Although secretly, if you look really, really closely, you can see also credits by Bill Finger for writing and Jerry Robinson for doing the backgrounds. Oh, and the uh, the logo is back to what we call the Superman logo style with the 3D block letterings arcing across uh, with the red face and the blue sides, and it's in an arc. Boo. <laughs> with, with the letters getting smaller as you go to the right. That's about as Superman as you can be. Yeah. Already an almost legendary figure, the cowled shadow of the Batman prowls through the night, preying upon the criminal parasite, like the winged creature whose name he had adopted. 
There's a three-quarter splash image, which, as I said earlier, these are bigger than Superman's usual half-page splashes. We see Batman in a city looking up to see a giant, monstrous human standing taller than the buildings wearing a hat. (laughs) While an innocent metropolis sleeps, little does it realize that huge, terrifying man-monsters shall soon stalk the streets and bring to them havoc and destruction. And little does Bruce Wayne suspect that fate shall touch his shoulder and single him out as the one to do battle with these monsters as he goes forth clad in the garb of the weird and menacing... Batman. Narrator voice. (laughs) Not long ago, the Batman had seen the arch-criminal Professor Hugo Strange imprisoned. And yet, we see Hugo Strange busting out of prison with a bunch of other convicts. He then travels to Metropolis and breaks the patients out of the insane asylum there. That night, at the home of Bruce Wayne, criminals, maniacs, and Strange can only add up to one thing. Something new in crime, something fantastic and terrible. Very terrible. And Bruce does absolutely nothing about this at all for a month. Staying true to form. Yes. Probably because it was the Metropolis Insane Asylum, so he figures Superman has it covered. But I don't know. Just an idea. So after a month in a crowded street... Does Superman in live Manhattan, in Metropolis at this point? Yes. yes. Metropolis, New York. Which is just upstate from Manhattan. Okay, so 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 they did establish Metropolis then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so after a month in a crowded street in Lower Manhattan, a giant man in a trench coat and flat, wide-brimmed hat hulks through the crowded streets, scaring the populace and destroying cars. The police try to subdue him. Bullets stud into the beast, but this only maddens him because the matter this guy gets the stronger he gets so he wrenches a lamppost out of the ground and swings it right through the knot of policemen he then gets into a truck that really should be too small to accommodate him and he drives off throwing a bomb at the pursuing police car to get away bruce wayne hears about this on the radio if i know professor strange there'll be more of them to come i must stop him hmm The monster shows up again the next day, tears up some stuff, drives off, bombs the police. But this time, high above, the Batman in his Batplane follows in pursuit to a house on a cliff point above the sea. He stashes his plane somewhere, and a few minutes later, he approaches the house. The door suddenly swings open of its own accord, revealing the dark interior. Batman steps in and can't see in time to avoid being grabbed by two of the man-monsters. The lights flash on and Batman sees... Dun-dun-dun, Hugo Strange. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. Charming (laughs) to the last. (laughs) Which is basically, but not exactly, what Batman says. Since Batman is a prisoner about to die, he requests some plot exposition, and we find out that Strange had sped up the growth glands of the escaped lunatics from the first three panels of the story, dressed them up in bulletproof clothing, and plans to use them as a distraction while he has some normal thugs rob some banks. Ingenious. Clever, isn't it? You know, at times I'm amazed at my own genius. <laughs> He removes Batman's belt of gas capsules, which is the closest thing I think we've come to calling it a utility belt. 
and injects him with the gland growth fluid to turn him into a monster. This fluid takes 18 hours to take effect, and a man-monster promptly hits Batman over the head, knocking him out for 17 hours and 45 minutes. His men, his men being Professor Strange's men, are getting ready to head out for the heist, but Batman mixes some chemicals together that he keeps in his boot heels and explodes his cage. He punches Hugo Strange out a window, and huh? he fa- Strange falls to the murky waters below and right out of our story, having only appeared on barely four of the 13 pages. But that's okay, he's not really dead. He has one more Golden Age story ahead of him. But meanwhile, back with Batman, suddenly a door opens and there are three man-monsters. But he is able to subdue one of them, and the other two start fighting each other. But now, he only has five minutes before the serum takes effect. A macabre scene. Will Batman become Bat-Monster? How can he escape the deadly serum? Tune in tomorrow and find out. No, sorry. Tune in next panel. Same bat time, same bat panel. Keeping on going, Batman makes some science with a four-minute science kit that Hugo Strange has sitting around. He injects the science with one minute to spare. Because and then biological... becomes the lizard. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good thing that biological agents always follow exact clockwork. No slow changes, no early effects as the serum worked its way through his system. No, he's all better now. He sees that the two fighting man monsters have killed each other, so he gets his bat plane from wherever and heads off into the night. Seeing the truck below with the thugs driving and a man monster in the back, he decides that there's absolutely no other possible way to stop this future robbery from happening. So he machine guns the drivers. And when the truck hits a tree and and the man monster falls out of the back, Batman lassos the monster's neck and lifts him into the air by his throat. The giant struggles to live, but Batman decides, like God, that he would be better off dead. (laughs) He literally cuts his losses and flies off to get the others on Daly Avenue. He shoots that truck's drivers, too, from his bat plane. And when the man-monster emerges from the wrecked vehicle, he sees the bat plane in the sky. So he begins climbing a nearby skyscraper. He climbs and climbs and climbs and, and climbs. And I don't know, what do you guys think? 15 minutes later when he reaches the top? At the very least. At least, yeah. At least. Batman circles him around in his bat plane and tries shooting at him, too. Not like King Kong at all. What? What's King Kong? King Kong was totally out by this point. 1933. Yeah, I, know. I know. Yeah. I've just never seen it. <laughs> he is, of course, wearing bulletproof clothing, so Batman hits him with gas pellets, causing him to topple to his doom. There goes the last of the monsters. Yet I have a feeling that the biggest monster of them all... Professor Hugo Strange still lives. Perhaps we shall meet again. Perhaps. And our final panel says, The Batman appearing every month in Detective Comics. And don't forget Robin! Oh, wait. <laughs> because they he did. wasn't in the story. And Batman leaves the lifeless body of a hulking 15-foot monster laying in the downtown Manhattan streets. <laughs> right. With 20 people crushed underneath it. Right. Wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> So farewell, Solo Batman. Yep. I think this is the last Solo Batman story for quite some time. Yeah, I get the feeling that this was a uh, an already done story that had just hadn't been put in detective yet, so they slipped it in here. 
Absolutely yeah, it was, was originally advertised for Detective Comics 38. Oh, was it advertised at the end of 37? Uh-huh. Oh, really? But then right. you get to 38, and it's Robin. Robin. So. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think I remember that now that I remember. Yeah, 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 you're right. I remember that now. So we that, talked that is... a little last episode that we thought Robin was kind of shoehorned in at the last minute. Because mm-hmm. there was a couple other things that were kind of wonky on the timetable. but this, this needs to be told. Right, well... They probably already had it told, and they just had to put it somewhere. So, Yeah, it's a done story, and they had to put four into this book, so they might as well squeeze it in. Because when you get to um, the fourth story in here, there's only a two-day gap between the two Joker stories. <laughs> yeah, there is. You, can't, you can't have this one month of waiting for the Hugo Strange to, uh, to fit in between those two. Right. I liked uh, seeing Hugo, Hugo Strange's prison break by force rather than just escaping somehow. Yeah. I wish we would have gotten more of that than just one panel, but I understand that. Yeah, yeah like, like, he says, oh, Batman sends Hugo Strange to jail, and yet, and he just has he, he has guns for some reason, and just shoots his way out like there was no yeah. trouble. Yeah. Let's play with guns. But that was pretty cool, Metropolis Insane Asylum. Um, in my notes, I wasn't really sure if what the status of Metropolis really was either, so I wasn't sure if they were just saying... A generic insane asylum in a you know big quote unquote metropolis, or if they were big, or if they were saying that's the I kind of think title. it was just the, just the generic metropolis, but you know it could have been either one. The way it's worded uh, in the opening caption and then the later caption, it's kind of hard to tell. I think the way it's worded in the opening caption, it's a generic use of the term. Yeah. But if you call it the metropolis insane asylum, that's yeah, yeah, that's different. Also on this page, and I know you guys talked I talked about this before, but Walk Street, Walk Professor Strange escapes in prison break. Walk Street, Walk Street. It's paper boy slang. Yep. Yeah, it's just an old paper newsboy slang. Yeah, that's that's okay. I didn't get it either the first <laughs> time. So <laughs> that, that's always baffled me every time I read these these yeah. stories. never heard of that before. Um. So did Bruce spend any time in the month between Hugo Strange's escape and the monster attack? Did he spend any time in that month looking for you know the the villain that's Plotting some fantastic and terrible, very terrible plot. Or for any of the people that he kidnapped or... Right. (laughs) He had pipes to smoke. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait till he actually does something with these people. No, he didn't do anything. Time. Bruce, why don't you get up and do something with your life? (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, Julie, after I smoke this pipe. I've been thinking about adopting a boy lately. (laughs) A circus boy. Preferably an orphan. Are you even listening to yourself? <laughs> so I hate the uh, the hat on this monster. It's the same hat the Joker was wearing, or will be wearing when that story happens. <laughs> why well, does gross serum make clothes grow? That, that is hats? why I hate the hat, because it instantly made me think, well, did they buy this monster a big hat? Or did he already, <laughs> did he already have this hat and it just grew? And it took did, Professor Strange a month to make all of the clothes for these guys, okay? And, and what, you know, why did a guy in an insane asylum have a hat? Um, and, you know, why are, why are his clothes, like, fitting him and yet ripped at the same time? I don't know. It just – the hat started this whole train of thought that bugged me. It doesn't me. say that the, it's – didn't they say they outfitted them with – Yeah, with bulletproof right. whatever. But so he has made... bulletproof hats. Right, but he, had, he has ripped sleeves here, so it made it look like it was – and the size the of side. the monsters are very inconsistent. Yes. You don't yeah. say. One, one, one is shorter than a lamppost, and one is like taller than a building, and then one can fit in a truck. 
But wait, they're all the same 15, guy. Yeah, a fifteen foot monster hijacks a truck. That's that's yeah. Yeah. That's just a my and, and and he's wearing purple and green and that makes me think of some other hulking monster that wears purple and green all the time, but <laughs> it'll show up in about twenty years. Yeah. Right, in twenty years. I didn't think this was as strong of an uh, of an outing for Hugo Strange as his last one. No. I like the Monster Men. And I like how he tried to turn Batman into a Monster Man. That, like, was kind of funny in my head. Although, like, this is a few months after they tried to turn Batman into a werewolf, so... Well, this one had basically <laughs> the same plot as that first story. You know, it did. He, he's, he's just using giant monsters instead of a fog machine. And he and he so, didn't have to kidnap somebody to help him make the monsters this right. time. Um, which I actually like better because that's the Hugo Strange I think of in my head as some mad scientist guy instead of just a mob leader. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like Hugo Strange as a very twisted scientist, instead of any instead of a guy who can be sort of like uh, predictable in any way. Yeah, but the bat plane returns. Yep, just very fingers, cool. Fingers first use of it, and it's nice seeing him introduce some of the elements that Fox introduced, mm-hmm. so that we're not just completely ignoring those stories. As a continuity nerd, I kind of like seeing those references. And it, it just makes Batman look cool when, you know, the bad guys are getting away and the cops can't chase him, but then Batman shows up in one of his toys. That's just... Yeah, yeah. That's always very fun. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute! Look up in the sky, he like flies in the back plane, gives a thumbs up to Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> right, 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 right. And then shoots them all down with a machine gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is the uh, the second Hugo Strange story where, or, you know, all the Hugo Strange stories so far, where Batman just walks in the front door and... <laughs> and, gets, and gets captured. That's just very un-Batman-like to, you know, not sneak around a little bit or scout ahead or something. Yeah. He just says, hello, anyone home? And then you hear like, the Scooby-Doo theme. Dun, 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 I haven't heard the episode where you guys covered this yet, but there's like a few issues ago where like the story begins. Batman's car has broken down and he's oh, going yeah. to yeah. ask for directions. <laughs> I love that issue. Batman gets lost. Yeah. Well, that's the one where like like uh, he wakes up. He says, "Huh? Someone must have knocked him out." Wait a minute. I don't remember doing this. And there's like 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 bloody bodies everywhere. <laughs> right. That was actually the story after the Hugo Strange debut, wasn't it? Yeah. That we haven't released that story yet. As okay. Of this, as of this recording. Right. That's the next one coming up. So um, this might be getting to me things, but in my in my knowledge, this is the last time Batman kills anybody. Um. I yes. wondered about that. It absolutely is, yes. Never mind. The first time or, no, I couldn't hear the first time or last time Batman kills somebody. The very, the very, this is the very last time Batman uh, kills anybody. The first right. time he actually shows any concern about it. but Well, from, last, from, last time as far as consistently not being a killer. I don't know if there's some you know story down the road that we don't know about where he kills somebody or something. But you know, there, There's a story where he threatens to kill people, but it was like when Robin was in danger. Um, but he doesn't actually kill anybody. And from what I've read, it was... Now, th- th- I've heard conflicting, uh, conflicting uh, accounts, but from what I've read, after he even wrote that, Bill Finger didn't think that was a plausible uh, reason for him to say, as much as I hate to take human life, I'm afraid this time it's necessary. He thought that was sort of a cop-out. So he said, okay, from now on, Batman just doesn't kill anybody. But there's been several accounts that I know of. As far According to Les Daniels' uh, Batman, The Complete History, this story is the, is what Ellsworth, yes. uh, Ellsworth used as his, as, as his reason for... Or this was this was, is the story that came along that Ellsworth said, you know what, Batman's not going to kill anymore. Well, he kills nine it, people in this story. Right. Or eight <laughs> people. And it, it so, doesn't say which particular kill, if any, that 
Ellsworth objected to. I'm thinking maybe the the strangulation one. That seemed awfully brutal, but yeah. Um, <laughs> well, maybe curious to know if uh, if Action Comics 25, if if Superman never kills anybody after that issue, because that was the same month. <laughs> Did Superman strangle somebody with spear? He doesn't even try and cure these guys because for all, no. they're from an insane asylum. Like that doesn't mean that they're criminals. They can just no. be like you know people with it. Like, um, uh, what's his name? Her- Hurley from Lost. He was in an insane asylum. Well, that could have been Hurley. But their growth glands <laughs> have been stimulated. They're they're man monsters. It yes, says but, so in the narration. They're monsters. But he cured himself. Yeah, but that, that's no guarantee that will work again. Oh, yeah. Libby from Lost. Libby but could be even, there too. Libby doesn't he, deserve to die twice in two different universes. <laughs> I don't remember how they, they they worked around this in the Batman like like, like when Matt Wagner retold these stories and because he did both the Mad Monk and he did the and Batman and the Monster Man and I don't I don't remember exactly how he had him take care of these guys I know he didn't kill them but no. I forgot maybe he cured them no not that either <laughs> they killed themselves <laughs> he put them all in the same room they're like rah, rah, rah. Uh, page five, we have Hugo Strange being the first villain smart enough to take away Batman's utility bill. Even Yay. though it didn't really do him a lot of good in the end, but he gets an A for effort. Yeah, that's pretty smart. So he makes these – he kidnaps these lunatics who, you know, by definition are lunatics. And um, um, and he makes them even bigger and, according to him, makes their brains even more distorted. And yet somehow they listen to him and do whatever he says, so – I was kind of interested how he, what he was using to control them, because it never really goes into that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Why would they need to go into actual explicits? <laughs> right, I guess. <laughs> you know, he doesn't soothe them with his violin music or anything like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so this is like one of those stories that is a sort of like a horror story with Batman. Mm-hmm. And I like that earlier in Batman's history. I mean, this is obviously a, a comment on the Times so how every story was these sort of like genre stories. But I like how I like I, I like the idea of Batman being a sort of a horror story. But at the same time, there's sort of conflicting feelings because it doesn't feel very Batman esque. It's it's not my Batman, so <laughs> you don't expect Batman to fight monsters. So it's 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 an interesting story to read, even if it's kind of linear. Well, yeah, normally he fights bad guys that are just human and disturbed or something. But you know, by his very nature, he dresses up as a you know, this evil looking thing and scares people. So I guess it makes sense that he's in the occasional horror story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind the, um, the monsters here. I think the aliens that are coming down the road, I think that yeah. might be a bridge too far, but right. Uh, well, the but aliens. Likes aliens. Wait, what? I'm not, I'm not read aliens. Yes, you oh, have. Yeah, Batman fighting eight space aliens in the fifties. Yeah. Was... Oh. Dude, oh, yeah, remember that, 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 that bat, that the Batman of, of like three worlds or something, or, <laughs> That is That's, that is an alien. Yeah, they they take him a very sci-fi direction in the future, so it'll be fun when we get to that. So initially, I thought it was kind of silly that Batman would store chemicals in his boots that were, you know, when you combine them, they explode. I mean, it seemed like yeah, easier. It seemed easier. Seem very to, safe. That and it just seemed like why not just store like a lockpick or something instead, but. But then on the other hand, I started thinking like you know explosions can solve all kinds of problems, so maybe. <laughs> Just maybe, blow it up. Maybe he's just trying to have the best of everything on him. So, as far as the safety factor goes, though, there there are a lot of situations where you have two different chemicals that are volatile when combined, and you right. want that volatile combination, so they're just always shipped separately. Um, right. it, it's not that uncommon. 
it, I wouldn't. I, I would consider it safe unless unless uh, he was in a falling building and a bunch of bricks landed on his boots. Yeah, then I'd be in trouble. It's not like <laughs> storing it in his mouth or anything. No, no, no. no. Like, uh, <laughs> like certain somebody might in a few pages. Right, right. And and we have we have Batman knocking Hugo Strange out a window, possibly killing him either by crushing him to death on the rocks or drowning. And he expresses absolutely no remorse. And keep that in mind when we get over to page nine, because I thought there was an interesting contrast to that. But uh, we have a nice fight, I think, between Batman and the monsters. Yeah. I like I, that he didn't really try to take him on physically, because aside from, well, aside from kicking one in the head, I guess, because there's really no way that Batman could have taken them physically. No. And had Finger done that, it would have, you know, stretched. In the modern days, he could have. Well. Yeah, but <laughs> like, like, like leg, leg flipped him all over there. But um, turning them against one another was pretty smart, I think. Yeah. So I'm confused. There are three, and then there's only two. No, were there three? Yeah, there were three. No, well, there were there were there were four. No, there were three. Because he he uh, has two kill each other. One he fights on, on the building, and then like the first guy didn't he like just like knock out? No, just at the beginning of this fight, there's three. Um, Beginning of the there's three, and he says, although your bulletproof clothing protects you from bullets, it doesn't from this. Does he jab the guy in the face with the cue ball, uh, the cue stick? It looks Is like Is that it, knock yeah. him out? Did he just, like, you know, poke his eyes out, maybe get into his brain, that's that's all that guy has? Whatever he did, it was horrible. Cause he's right. Just like the 70 cakes. Because you never, you never see him again, so he must have just taken that guy out. Huh. 40 cakes. Was it 40 or 70? It well, funny. it was 40, and it was terrible. Not horrible. Oh, yeah. Huh? That's like the seventh fail I've done tonight. Wow. We need to keep track. Like, I should keep a count of how many times your guests... The John Wilson fail count? Show. Yeah. But I have I have mixed feelings about this panel where they're fighting in the background, and he's he's curing himself. I like... It's I like of, that panel. It's it's. I like the art on that panel. Yeah, the art's great, and I think the scenario is just hilarious. Where like, <laughs> he's just he's just working along after he's had them start fighting each other. Um, but I do think it's ridiculous that he cures himself in five minutes. But yeah. Oh well. I just I just think if if you have a biological agent that's going to take eighteen hours to take effect, that means it's got to spend eighteen hours doing something. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, oh wait. Nothing happened to me. Well, yet. did you have the same problem in the last story when the Joker had the 24-hour poison, though? No, he didn't he cure that. exactly 24 hours. No, but he didn't cure that in five minutes. But that's, but that's, um, that could be like a, a capsule that um, that takes 24 hours to dissolve or something. This is like a muta, a mutagenic change that's going to happen in his body. Exactly. I don't know. It just seems like I don't know. It seems well, like it should go more quickly than that. And also it. It just robbed me of, of getting to see Batman turn into a monster, which I was <laughs> I was kind of looking forward to for some for some reason, and then well, you, know, you, you can find that in Silver Age. Oh sure, look out! Batman's become a Bat Menace. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he looks just like Batman with like the regular face and the mask. You pull off the mask, and it's a freakish bat head. But then at the end of page nine, we get this is the first time we've seen in a story that Batman has expressed regret at, sh- at taking a life and he does so while he's using a gatling gun <laughs> to the bat- which right that's pretty hilarious right a flamethrower. and this time it's necessary 
<laughs> except yeah. that it's not. Right. There were 1,700 other ways to stop this robbery from happening, especially since they're in a truck outside the city. Right. right. I, I love Batman's It's a very important robbery. <laughs> right. These could be stolen forever. <laughs> but, yeah. I feel really sorry for this, this, you know, poor guy who just gets strangled to death, though, really. Cause, it's yeah. Hurley. I'm calling it now. It's Hurley from Earth, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> See, if you think of it as Hurley, that's really sad that Batman just takes this guy out and then brushes it off as... He's better off. I love the idea of a a hanged giant just like plumbing to the ground and landing on the ground. Where did that come from? Batman. Yeah. The Pat Hingle, Commissioner Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) This is is, is in no way incriminate Batman. This is purely circumstantial evidence. Here, this this batarang with blood has found the scene... Don't look at this. Don't look at this. Look at this right here. It wasn't Batman. This is purely circumstantial. <laughs> so yeah, overall it was a okay story. It's probably my least favorite yeah. least favorite story for this episode. Uh, There's more science than females in this story as opposed to the next one. <laughs> right. There's just lots and lots of killing. I mean, the Batman in this story is <laughs> different than the one we're going to see in the next story. Yeah, and this is only this is only supposed to. You know, been a, this is only two two stories out of place or two issues out of place, right? So yeah. So it's amazing how much change he's gone through already. Yeah. I mean, it really sticks out when you just insert this in between all these Robin stories. Lousy Robin. Yeah. Having children changes a man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, decent story. Uh, what do you think of the the logo there on that last panel? Um, it, too Superman like or? No, that one's. That one doesn't remind me of Superman so much, so it's okay. Yeah, it's more Saturday afternoon serial, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's very serial. Like, I, I really like the Batman shape there, though. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. There are so many good images of Batman in these stories where like, he's just like doing the whole hiding behind his cape thing. Yeah, yeah. they got the poses and the shadows and and the uh, the mystique down very early. It, it's reminiscent of the animated series credit sequence at the end. Where, or he's, he's basically doing no, the exact same that. pose. Yeah. So, uh, anybody got the reprint info on this one? I have it. It was reprinted with the rest of Batman number one in the tabloid size famous first edition, F5 from 1974. Then the greatest Batman stories ever told hardcover from 1988 and the trade paperback from 1989 which had the better cover, in my opinion. We had Batman The Dark Knight Archives, Volume 1, hardcover, also pre-printing the rest of Batman Number 1, just like the Millennium Edition of Batman Number 1. And then the Batman Chronicles, Volume 1, trade paperback. And finally, Batman The Greatest Stories Ever Told, Volume 2, trade paperback from 2007, which, again, is different from The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told. So next we have a... One-page text piece called Strictly Publicity by Guy Monroe. And then we have a cool one-page piece written by our editor again, Whitney Ellsworth, called Meet the Artist. And it was an article on Bob Kane talking about where he grew up and how he got into illustration, how hard it is to be an illustrator having to work seven whole days a week, and what he does in his off time, even though he works seven days a week, such as uh, fishing, traveling, and visiting medical hospitals so he can study anatomy and apply it to his drawings. <laughs> uh-huh. And it includes did, 
It includes a cool photo of him sitting at his drawing board, smiling at us. And I did find it amusing that after Siegel and Schuster were asked to write up bios, and they just wrote up short paragraphs about themselves yeah. for Superman number one, the editor writes up a pretty dense page about yeah. Bob Kane. So that's what I was going to ask anybody out there who knew them. Whether or not this is one of the, you know, whether this was the first time that they really focus on a creator like this. I was about not. to say, yeah, this 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 is very Marvel s, sixties Marvel s, but it's very early in the game, maybe. I think aside from the Siegel and Schuster bios, like John mentioned, I I think this was the only other thing to this point that had focused on a creator. Yeah, because normally, like we said already, that you know, comics weren't cool to be right. at, le- at least to be working on. You know, they didn't. That's why all these pen names and it was a small business and, you know, people were having their – putting their foot in the door just thinking they were going to move on to something bigger and better eventually. So it's kind of neat to see them, you know, celebrating a creator here even if it's kind of a, you know, a hokey article. But Did Bob Kane talk about um, his writing partner? Nope. <laughs> why would he? He, he, he? Shocker. He's completely responsible for Batman in every uh-huh. way, shape and form. Um, but I think like maybe Bob Kane was like one of the first – like – Kind of like the Stan Lee of his time, maybe, where he started making <laughs> making comic book creating cool or something. I don't know. I'm sure he went around telling everybody how he created Batman and got into a lot of parties. So, Have either of you read uh, The Bat Companion? The Bat uh, Cave Companion? No. The Bat, the Bat Cave Companion. That oh, thing has an entire chapter dedicated to Bob Kane's shenanigans. And it is, com- <laughs> it is one of the most eye-opening things I've ever read in my life. You will uh, never look at Bob Kane the same way again. I'll have to check that out. I I have read a long time ago that Batman and Me book that he put out, but oh, that <laughs> that's of course. Oh, just... you think he wrote that? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. So. Dude, 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 I'm I'm teasing you, by the way. I hope I hope it's not sounding as condescending as it actually is. <laughs> no, I. You hope I it don't... doesn't sound as condescending as it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, I'm really actually hating you right now, but I'm only trying to sound a little bit like that. <laughs> and then next up, we have a another Batman story called uh, "The Cat," which we're going to have Josh cover. So take it away, Josh. Okay. Well, we start off um, instead of a grisly nighttime murder. It's, uh, we're on the sea, and we see a boat speeding towards a yacht, and a little splash page, which, this is the Batman logo that I like, where it's kind of like it's being hung up to dry, and it's mm-hmm. got the bat and the man. Mm-hmm. Going into the story, Bruce has heard about a big party that socialite Mrs. Travers is throwing for all of her rich friends on a yacht. Her diamond necklace is going to be showed off, and Bruce thinks that this will attract some crooks. He wasn't invited, though, so... <laughs> There's that. He decides to use his connections to get Dick a job on board as a steward to keep an eye on things. You know, because he actually can't go and keep an eye on it. Because once again, he wasn't invited. <laughs> <laughs> on board, Dick listens in and meets the players of our little mystery. Miss Travers' nephew, Denny, is escorting an old woman they Miss Pegs due to her bad leg. Sounds sweet, right? Not according to another gossiping steward who tells Dick that Danny is always hitting his aunt up for money. He also points out that Miss Travers' doctor, who's also on board, borrows money from her, too. And in, then the steward says, well, now that I've set up all the people who could possibly be robbing her, I'm going to walk away. Stage left. <laughs> Boy, they're sure saying up some suspects, eh? Oh, wait, no, never mind. There's another one. Dick overhears Travers yelling at her brother, Red Herring, I mean, um, Roger, that he won't get another cent from her. He vows to get another cent from her son this one day, and he vows he'll get that money somehow. 
ooh, I bet he's the bad guy. Because in 1940, these red herrings actually usually were the villains. Dick sees Denny trying to throw a note overboard into the ocean, but through the magic of plot convenience, the wind blows it right into the hands of Dick Grayson, the boy steward. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that, 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 was, that was just the, the, one of the oddest moments of the story. It says, keep your aunt away from your mom. We'll try... I, 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 it was hard for me to read that next sentence, but it says, we'll try then. Is that what it says? I think it says, keep your aunt away from room. Yeah. We'll try oh. then. Yeah. Let me let me look. I thought it was your mom. No, it says <laughs> no. from room. No. From yeah. something with two O's. Okay, no. you know, I was I was squinting when I read it. Yeah, keep away and away from room. We'll try then. The cats. Then, in a move that nobody saw coming, Miss Travers comes from her room yelling that her necklace has been stolen. No. <sighs> then another bolt pulls up to the yacht identifying themselves as the Coast Guard. Turns out it's crooks who are out to steal the MacGuffin. I mean, necklace. <laughs> Miss Trevor's laughs and delights because it's already been stolen. When Dick Grayson headbutts one of the guys in the back and then says, I don't like your face. I think I'll change. It's an appearance. And then one crook says, get that kid. And in probably the worst comeback ever, he says, you've got to get me first. <laughs> <laughs> so what? You've got to get him before you get him? <laughs> And then in a move that's sure to confuse everybody on board, he just decides nothing like a cold plunge and dives overboard as everyone thinks that this kid is insane. <laughs> oh, boy. So they start firing at the water, but he's already stripped off his steward clothes and he's Robin underneath. The men get away on their boat until Batman and Robin reunite on board that boat to fight them. Then Batman does something idiotic. <laughs> He basically decides that average American DC Comics reader of 1940 needs to know that crooks are cowards. So this kid who he adopted or didn't adopt, whatever the status was back then, a few issues ago, he says, all right, all you crooks, I want you to beat him up right now. <laughs> I know you can do it, Dick. I have faith in you. I'm going to send these three killers after you to show that they're cowards without their guns. <laughs> Obviously, Robin. And then Dick Grayson dies. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Batman says, "Well, that didn't work out so bad." Oh, and he well. gets the he gets the Gatling gun off the bat plane. <laughs> oh well, on to Jason Todd. <laughs> <laughs> then Batman turns to the readers, and I kid you not, says, "Well, kids, there's your proof. Crooks are yellow without their guns. Don't go around admiring them. Rather, do your best in fighting them and their kind." <laughs> As in order to drive the point home, the previous panel has the guy saying, if only I had my gun. <laughs> then Batman takes oh, his hand out of the comic and actually grabs the reader and says, I'm telling you, don't admire crooks. They have guns, guns, guns. Back at the yacht, everyone is in a costume at the costume party, except for Mrs. Peggs. Or is she? <laughs> <laughs> then Batman makes one of the most awesome appearances ever in the costume party. Mrs. Uh, Travers goes ahead and gives him like a, a trophy like, wow, your Batman costume wins. He's like, actually, I'm the real Batman, and here's all the jewels that got stolen. <laughs> then all of a sudden, the fire alarm goes off, and everyone starts running out, but the captain yells, wait, no, this, this isn't actually a fire. Turns out it was just a diversion to see everyone run away because Batman had a hunch that Mrs. Pegg wasn't really who she said she was as which 
I hope is true because if she really was an old woman, he makes the comments, nice legs for an old woman. <laughs> we get a reference to uh, Mary Grayson as Dick uh, drops on the Miss Peg and says, my mother told me never to fight with a lady, but this time I'm making an exception. Batman moves in quickly to unmask her Scooby-Doo style and says the line, which has lived in infamy, which its its reputation precedes itself and to me honestly the me it's kind of like it was funny for me the first time but really it's jumped the shark for me at this point the way that people like go on about this but yes he says she says let go of me and he says in his christian bale voice quieter papa spank <laughs> <laughs> now the adam west voice quieter papa spank <laughs> <sighs> Unmasking Mrs. Pegg. Oh my goodness. It's Lois Lane. <laughs> it's a man, man. No, wait. Julie Madison? An early appearance of Kathy Kane? Could be. Could oh, be. Lord. <laughs> Betty Brands? All girls from black hair in the Golden Age look the same? Well. Swiftly, the swaddling frock is removed, and there, in the place of old Miss Peggs, is a beautiful one woman. Well, what's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a pretty girl before? And that is the cat, unmasked as a beautiful brunette, um, who at this point isn't identified as Selena Kyle in story, but that's basically who she is. If you haven't figured out, listeners, this cat is indeed the first appearance of Catwoman. Robin, in typical Watson fashion, asks how Batman figured it out. And he said that he knew that once um, Robin told him about the note that Denny threw away, he knew that Denny was in league with the cat and that it had to be Mrs. Pegg. And then Selena says, well, and again, she's not called Selena at this point, says, and I would have gone away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kid. <laughs> and the bats. Denny, the forgotten player of this tale, comes in one the jewel but gets knocked out. The cat admires this, wraps her arms around Batman's neck, and asks him to join her as the king and queen of crime. And then Batman actually says, sorry, your proposition tempts me. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, you, you're tempted to be a criminal? What? <laughs> like, he, he's not like, definitely, no, never in a million years. He's actually like, well, the proposition's tempting. Like, that means that... You can do it sarcastic. I, I don't think he is. Or she's good looking. <laughs> well, you're kind of hot, so I'm willing to drop all my ideals for you. <laughs> Although, then again, that kind of goes along with what does happen later on in the page. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> oh. So to the cat's surprise, Batman wants to escort her to the police himself instead of leaving her on the yacht. When pressed on this, he merely states he has his reasons. Suddenly, the cat leaps to her feet and, watch her, she's jumped overboard. Batman, very, very casually, hmm, fancy that. As Robin makes ready to jump after the cat, the Batman casual, casually bumps into him. <laughs> and by casually, he stands up and intercepts his jump. <laughs> hey, oops, sorry, Robin. <laughs> by the time they recover, the cat has made her escape for good. Too late, she's gone, and say... She's I'll a bet you swimmer. bumped into me on purpose. That's why you took her along with us. So she might try a bake. Why, Robin, my boy, whatever gave you such an idea? Mm, nice night, isn't this? Lovely girl. <laughs> what eyes say? Mustn't forget I've got a girl named Julie, who most of the writers forgot about at this point. Lovely eyes. <laughs> <laughs> 
She still had lovely eyes. Maybe I'll bump into her the way I bumped into you again sometime. <laughs> That's the end of our little tale. <sighs> and then in the well, last panel, there's a, a little note from Robin and Batman that says, so many of our readers have written to us such nice letters that we have decided to show our appreciation. Therefore, on the back cover of this magazine, you will find a full-page autographed picture suitable for framing of both Batman and Robin, the boy wonder. This is our way of saying thanks, Bob Kane. And then Batman says, and don't forget, crooks are yellow without their guns. <laughs> yellow. <laughs> Yellow, I tell you. <laughs> oh man, this issue was funnier. This this story was funnier than I thought it was initially. Oh, especially the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yes. it, it it was nice to have a story that wasn't all about crazy murder and death. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Oh, killing. yeah definitely. I I love the whodunit angle. Yes. Um, even though they. They didn't really give you enough time to suspect any of the suspects. Like they pretty much played up everyone as red herring. <laughs> Wait, this this is a classic pulp style detective story. I mean, there's basically zero fantastic elements. Yep. Um, right, it's a mystery story. Yeah, I Even think it's they great. Don't, you know, like he said, they don't play it up as much as they could have. But and it's one for, of those uh, mystery, it's one of those mystery stories where you're all locked in the same. It's not a house this time. It's a boat, but you can't get on or off, and you know all the all the you're stuck on the same place with all the bad guys. Or the yeah. bad guy. Like trapped in the closet, it's... Yes. No, there's nothing like trapped in the closet. This is Peg's a man, man. I'm, wait, no, no, she's not. She's... Boy, that would have been a real page turn. <laughs> the cat man. Wait, 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 wait. That was another company. Mustn't forget, I've got a girl named Julie, who coincidentally looks just like this girl. I like the way our story starts out uh, with, with Dick already on the boat, though, and then flashes back. Yeah. Show the setup. Uh, we haven't seen that in Batman stories nope. to this point. No. I, I like I like the I like the concept of uh, Bruce sending in Dick for his own mission. After yeah, this, yeah. After so many times of Dick jumping the gun, saying, "Well, I know you told me to stay put, but forget that. I'm gonna go on my own." Yeah, letting letting Dick um, take the lead on the story was nice. Um, in the Detective Comics number 38, I commented that it calls Robin Batman's ally, not a sidekick or a partner. And I really liked that, you know, they they played him up as a. Yeah, I, I like the idea that Batman and Robin are sort of like equals, team. even though like yeah, t- yeah, 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 they're, they're 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 partners. They're not. It's not so much Batman does stuff and Robin says, uh, "Well, how'd you do that?" All the right. time, it's, they, they kind of rely on each other. This pan, this this picture of Bruce's face on panel two, uh, page two, is like the worst rendering of Bruce Wayne's face I've ever seen. I think. Yeah. Um, it's, it's rather foppish. <laughs> it's just horrible. Uh, and I wonder if this is more of that Dick Tracy influence or something we were talking about earlier. Um, or in a, in a different episode. They, they were some, Somewhere I read that they were they started moving the art style more towards a cartoony Dick Tracy. It, it literally does look like it was, cut, it was cut out and pasted on something. Yeah. They're, they're in the gym, and they're in their gym clothes, and he's still reading the paper and smoking it's, a pipe. I know. <laughs> It's a really funny panel. It's like it's like he told Dick, "Okay, let's go exercise," and then he gets down there and he just sits down and reads the paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Dick has to do all the uh, training. That, that's by like that's but everyone's I like image. Dick of training, Bolton. though, it was because we haven't really seen that aside from their respective origins. Right, right. We haven't seen him doing any kind of workout or training regimen. So no, even from Batman. So right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And in the speech balloons in that scene, and this is subtle, and it's so subtle it might have been completely unintentional, and I'm reading into it. But um, Bruce says every criminal will try to steal that necklace if he can, kind of subliminally preparing you for a male antagonist. Oh. Ah. He's clearly a woman I mean, champion thief. It used to be grammatic practice that you would always use a male pronoun if you didn't know the gender of the person you were talking about. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you're expecting a male bad guy. You don't expect it to be a female. Right. He's not had any female villains. Nope. He sure hasn't. Except for Darla. Oh, yeah. Darla, Darla. yeah. But who cares about her? Darla? Darla. 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 She was like a vampire or werewolf. Oh, that's right. Dahlia from the The Monk's Assistant story. They they switch between vampires and werewolves, but between that story so much, I think that that they themselves forgot. Uh, It's a vampire-werewolf hybrid. I had a theory on that that they read on an email, but we won't go into that now. That's uh, that's what uh, the uh, Batman Encyclopedia says. They are, they are vampire werewolf hybrids. <laughs> I like on um, page, is it? Yeah, it's page three, where it says Dick pumps one of the regular stewards, as though the comic book saying isn't that cute. He thinks he's a detective, and then the next, <laughs> the next in the second panel, that guy says, uh, that kid says, I bet he owes her plenty, plenty. I told you. I like that kid. I think he looks funny. But like design, Haskell. Yeah, that design was really cool. Like this weird pig nose, freckled face kid. He's got a little mustache in the first panel. <laughs> yeah. He like penciled it on to try and impress the other like girl stewards or something. It's like the Sandlot uh, on a boat or something. Yeah. Now, how does um how does Robin go from not being ready to go out on missions to taking this whole case by himself? Yeah, there's that. I wonder if if Bruce just thought it didn't sound like a very violent mission, you know? Yeah. To, to guard a, some jewelry from thieves, or I don't know. And then he also just says he has something else to do. That that's kind of a dismissive, you know, story element. What else did he have to do? They never really said, but <laughs> almost like you think he's lying. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he was well, there the whole time. He didn't think it was going to be a hot girl, so. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he's reading yeah. the paper and he's like. Woman. He had to go. He had to go talk to the local youth center about guns. Crooks <laughs> are <laughs> yellow. Yellow, I told you. But it was cool that Bruce references that he has a lot of connections in terms of getting getting onto this party or getting getting Dick work. I mean, we don't usually hear about Bruce Wayne's life, so it was neat to know that he has. He knows yeah. people. He knows people. underworld connections. No, I don't even think that. It was just probably above Ward stuff, you know? Just he, he knew somebody that could get Dick a job on this thing. And again, Dick Ward, or Dick Ward, Dick Grayson isn't officially his ward or anything, so he can't just get him a ticket, I guess, because no one even knows that he's there, I well, guess. Well, he can't even get himself a ticket. Well, it doesn't say that. It says that he has something else to do. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's always what someone says when they can't go to a party. Right, right, right. Well, <laughs> I didn't I want to go anyway. I had something <laughs> awesome to do that night anyway. An even better party. <laughs> right. A bigger yacht with a bigger diamond necklace, and you can't come. I'll throw my own party, and no one's invited. <laughs> but back on the first page in the, in the article <laughs> there, it the first page he's taking a selected group of guests, so it was an invitation-only type of thing. Yeah. So And, um, and what, a, what a horrible idea to advertise that you're taking your really expensive jewelry on a, on a boat. Please Maybe rob they, me. Invitation only, but Mrs. Pegg's got invited. Right. I mean, she'd like nobody. Right. 
Well, stealing something on a boat, especially when it's going to be found out that it was stolen before the boat docks, doesn't yeah. seem like a very bright idea to me anyway. Yeah, that's probably true. Because all I got to <laughs> do is search everybody as they leave the boat. and Yeah. Who would search Mrs. Pegg's? Well, you know, they're, they're, what about pirates, though? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I was going to ask about that, or not, or just talk about that. Like, you know, they think the Coast Guard's coming. Do they not? Do they think the Coast Guard are a bunch of guys in like suits and fedoras with machine guns or Tommy yeah. guns? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, they're rich socialites. They're very out of touch with reality. Oh, good! It's the <laughs> Coast Guards. They brought guns. Never mind the fact that nobody called the Coast Guard. These are rich people. They're used to their needs being met. Like, oh, the Coast Guard. I didn't call them, but, you know, it's just like at home, you know. My mate has my dinner ready before I need it. Right. (laughs) The Coast Guard must have just been showing up, anticipating our needs. Um, I do like like, like that line in that one panel where he says, um, if any of your men just so much as moves a finger, I'll spray these people with lead. It's very old school gangster kind of talk. And they have this, the the bit where... uh, they find out the jewelry's stolen, and apparently she had a guard. And then she says, I found him like this. I really hope, you know, like this doesn't mean he's dead, because cause that's 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 really bad of Batman to let a murderer, uh, you know, go free. It's one thing to let a jewel thief, but they don't really yeah. say if he's unconscious or he's dead. They don't really even show him, but... <laughs> well, they, they, they established that Golden Age Catwoman doesn't murder people because in... Right. Um, there's the story where she teams up with Joker, and like the second that someone's about to die, she wants out. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I know what you're Like, and that's and, and that's not like ten issues from now. That's like, you know, that's one of by her, like Batman number three, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Where she has the cat mask. I love that mask. Maybe it's number two. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, she'll be in the she next. She has a mask in number three. She'll be in the next couple Batman issues. So. And it usually ends with him letting her get away through one form or another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robin's like, I'll get her, Batman. Batman takes out a gun, shoots Robin in the legs. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> I bet you shot me in the legs on purpose. Lovely eyes. Lovely eyes. <laughs> I liked seeing Dick go into action and start yeah. clobbering these guys without worrying about changing into his Robin costume before beforehand. Yeah. And maybe it's because I've been reading so many Silver Age Superman stories lately where it's you know, it's very much a trope there. Every story is, oh, I can't stop the criminal or they'll know I'm Superman. But here, you know, he just starts busting heads yeah. doesn't worry about it. And they don't know who he is anyway, so. Well, yeah, and then he jumps in the middle of the ocean, so. It's like, hey, he looked like that boy that the Batman kidnapped a couple issues ago. <laughs> I like that panel where, he, where uh, they're shooting at him under the water because it's is at a, a Dutch angle or sort of slanted. It, yeah. was, very, it was very dramatic. Yeah. And it's cool that Robin has his outfit under his clothes because, as yeah. we already talked about, you know they don't really do that in the Golden Age too much yet. So it makes no sense, but it's, it's kind of cool. Well, he didn't have to go back to his room and like you know just change and sit there on the bed with his, you know, like Superman. It. Yeah, right. He, exactly. Well, he probably shared a room with like seven other stewards, though. So. Right. Exactly. I heard y'all joking about the um, the Coast Guard while I was off mic. Um, did y'all point out the fact that they really should have realized this wasn't the Coast Guard? As they were, yeah, on, yes. you know, boarding yeah. the Okay. Never mind then. Ridiculous, ridiculously so. It's the Coast Guard. We're the guns. We're saved. <laughs> well, we All have right, a bat boat. To... Is this is this first bat boat? It's uh, first bat boat, but it's a boat. Know, not really. It's just a boat. All we need but... now is bat shark repellent. We're good. <laughs> I think it's well, funny. that was from the helicopter. I think it's. I th- I continue to think it's funny that they they figured out to make his 
plain all you know tricked out and bat motif and all that but they they haven't carried that over to any other vehicles um, yeah, but think was, of like it. i said that was gardner fox that introduced the bat bat this and bat that bill finger mm-hmm. hasn't done right. any of that in his stories it's just been he's no. kept it but he hasn't invented it right he kept it and he hasn't just he hasn't thought about you know yeah, okay i see that applying yeah. it to other things and and once again we got this you know just a boat and it's red and that got me thinking like the first car that he drove was red and i started wondering if maybe he picked the wrong color for his outfit because he, he well, yeah, initially, initially, Bob Kane was going to make him red. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe he should have just stuck being Devil Man or something. Then he could have had all these cool red vehicles because that's apparently his favorite color. Yeah. Come to think of it, don't like, say um... that the cat didn't just drown when she jumped overboard. <laughs> At yeah. the end. Yeah, cats don't like water, you know. Well, I mean, they're in the middle of the ocean. Right. You're supposed to assume she like swam to shore. I mean, I guess, yeah, we are supposed to, but, like, <laughs> it's a pretty big leap. Now, am I wrong in liking the scene where Batman allows four grown men to, to go after a young boy? Nope, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I think breaking the fourth wall is pretty cheesy, but letting Robin wail on the guys is pretty awesome. It is. It's like, and I don't know if this is what they intended it to be, but it's like, I could see that. You know, you're training this kid to fight crime. You're in a... You've already beat them up. You've taken all their weapons. You're standing right there. This is a great opportunity to give them some real life experience and mm-hmm. or real fighting experience and see what he exactly. can do. It's it's campy and goofy, but you know, it's it's just fun, I think. And if, as I recall, we're gonna see more of this in the future too. The breaking the fourth wall. I mean, yeah, the fourth wall thing is kind of weird, and I also think it sends a mixed message because mix mixed message because it's a uh, it's like see kids, there's your proof if you got. If you use guns, you're a coward. So make sure that if you ever encounter anyone with a gun, that you go and fight them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bruce Wayne would said that, but but not like not anybody else in a rational mind. I don't think that's what he really meant. But when I originally read it, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, wait. So if you see a guy with a gun, he's a coward. So just go up and punch him in the face, or. The funny thing is, he looks he looks very very Adam West in that panel. Yeah. He really does, except for the red eyes. And the shadow. You have red eyes. Yeah, in the uh, in the original scan, he does. You might be uh, reading off the uh, chronicles. Yeah, he has red eyes. Oh my eyes. god! <laughs> oh man. We joked earlier about uh, Bob Kane taking anatomy lessons, but in these two pages here, Batman does look a lot buffer than we've seen him. Robin too, really. Yeah. Well, he's getting blockier. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. He's not. Uh, he's not at all what he looked. What he originally looked like, which was, um, you know, more. Flash Gordon like I guess as far as as, as far as what was what Bob was ripping off at the time when he <laughs> Bruce needs to even out his work a little bit more he's emphasizing the pecs a bit too much <laughs> yeah oh wait 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 that's his bulletproof vest never mind oh yeah there you go um, so at one point on the page where the bat boat shows up they call him Robin the Wonder Boy and I know that's not really very different from Robin Boy Wonder but I'm glad that it's I'm glad that they changed it because Robin the Wonder Boy it just bothers me. <laughs> Where's that at, John? I wrote down page seven. Um, let me see oh, there in the last panel. Seven. Yeah, Robin the Wonder Boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Boy Wonder sounds better than Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy sounds kind of condescending, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I, in the scene where he uh, shows up at the, at the costume contest, I love that scene. That it's a good scene. Uh-huh. I've seen at least two other Batman stories where the exact same thing happens. Yeah, that's what I I wrote down that I swear I've seen Batman going to other costume parties as Batman. 
and maybe even like other DC villain or heroes doing that too, like the Flash or. Actually, it really is me. Oh, and here's all your stolen stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, these people are pretty stupid. I mean, if they should know if this was really a Batman costume, it would have Batman written in big block letters across the forehead. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Right. There you go. Right. They have little symbols all over the underwear part. Yeah. And his his mask would be attached by a string, a rubber band, you know. Um, but I and love Nike it because his boots. He comes in, he looks all dark and menacing, and then they're just like, oh, what a great costume. <laughs> he he kind of looks put off like, hey, wait a minute. I'm," and then, <laughs> and then they give him the trophy. And this is like, I think, the first time that Batman's really hung out with civilians that I can Which think I, of. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care for, but it, it was the times. Right. Be it just makes for more of that. Yeah, it just makes it <laughs> seem silly, but that was, it, you know, it goes along with this silly story, so it works. Him, 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 him bowing in front of an old woman, accepting a prize at a costume party. That's not my Batman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really, it really isn't. This is the uh, yeah. This is the way it's going to be for a while. When he gets <laughs> Catwoman and uh, unmasks her and proves that she's really a hot young brunette. Mm-hmm. Pages three and four. I'm sorry, panels three and four of that page, where he's going after the jewelry. Mm-hmm. That does not look suggestive at all. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I could <laughs> see why. You know, young boys reading this would want to read more Catwoman after those yeah. two panels. You know, her clothes change when he unmasks her, which is weird. Or, yeah, I noticed or, that when John, when they were doing the synopsis. Yeah, so I don't know so, if he just ripped her that... clothes off or. <laughs> he was very disappointed. Oh, she's <laughs> got one. So, Mike, you want to talk about since this is right here the uh, first official appearance of Catwoman? Not yeah, dressed, that'd be not a... dressed as an old lady. There's really not much to uh, to tell, you know, compared to say Robin or uh, the Joker or Batman himself. But in his autobiography, Kane said that um, that the Cat or Catwoman was inspired by Hollywood actress Jean Harlow. And other sources have also cited Hedy Lamarr, but I kind of question that because I don't think Lamarr was too well known in the states when this story came out. She'd only had one, maybe two movies out uh, in the United States at that point. And also, I also couldn't find any sources that where Kane and or Finger had cited her as an inspiration. And yet, oddly, so, I think in that panel she looks more like Lamar than than the other lady you said. So. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe that's why they do that. They say that about him. But. Um, but Kane called Catwoman a joint effort between himself and Finger, which is kind of rare for Kane, as we have talked about before. Uh, mm-hmm. And she was added for sex appeal, which they thought the male readers would like, and they hoped the character would a- appeal to female readers as well. And she was intended to be villainous, but also a playful romantic interest for Batman, and not a truly, you know, a truly evil killer like the Joker or every other team. villain. Yeah, every other villain. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I, I actually not heard that. Um, I thought that the, uh, just the idea of Catwoman. And like, the, like her, what her personality is, that she always like, like really resembled Lauren Bacall to me. I think if you, if you, if you gave Lauren Bacall like a wig or had her hair dark, she would be like the perfect embodiment of a, of a Selena Kyle. But I can I, see I'm, that. I'm, but I'm googling like, like a, uh, um, these other women, and I can sort of see Hedy Lamarr. I can't, I can't really see uh, Jean Harlow much at all, but. Uh, Hedy Lamar does kind of resemble her in this issue, but if you were to ask me, Laura Bacall would be like the iconic well, I think, uh, long cat woman. I think Jean Harlow, not so much for the looks, but I think just the way she was is where she she 
portrayed characters who were very playful and right, sedu- the, sedu- seductive and uh, you know not someone right yeah. femme fatale so exactly personality wise I think they match but I I don't really know her Jean Harlow very well as far as her work so comparatively speaking she did not have that many appearances in the uh, the 40s and 50s which kind of surprised me when I was looking up before the show she appeared less than fewer than 20 times I actually read something on that and it had to do with what did it have to do with something about the comics code <laughs> no woman and female no because the comics code came out in 1954 and I'm talking about everything before oh. that Actually, oh, okay. actually, hold on one second, because I actually, in the beginning of Batman in the 50s trade, uh, Michael Uslan actually has a quote about women in the comics code. Let me get that real quick. It's women it's Lulesworthy. It's it's about, like, you know, you can't have women be good or anything like that. Let me see this. Well, that's why when when they later finally did an origin for her in 1950, they said that, oh, well, you know, no woman would actually be a criminal. It's because she was insane. <laughs> All right. Here, here we go. Here we go. Quote, the inclusion of females in stories is specifically discouraged. Women, when used in plot structure, should be secondary in importance and should be drawn realistically without exaggeration of feminine physical qualities. And, and what is that from? The Comics Code Authority. Oh, OK. The Image Comics Handbook. All That's right. the actual stipulation. <laughs> the Image Comics Handbook. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and she doesn't Mike get Bennett, a, take note. She doesn't get a name for another ten years. I mean, she gets a name, but it's an alias, Elva Barr, in uh, right. in a few years. When does she become? She's Elva Barr in nineteen. Yeah, your face is your fortune story from nineteen forty three. That was when she was Elva Barr. Huh. She's she's that she's that she's she's a an air, an air hostess with uh, amnesia. And then then that Joe, that Joe Stanton story, she says, well, I was lying about that, Batman. I was an abused housewife. She she actually has a, a litany of uh, origins in this in this precursor yeah. era. But but name it. <laughs> and Frank Miller made her a hooker because he's Frank Miller. Right. <laughs> she actually disappears in 1954 for 12 years until the TV series brings her back. But name and alias aside, I think um, she starts off pretty much like how I would think of Catwoman, and you know. The femme fatale who gets under Batman's skin and, you know, they can never actually be together because they're on the wrong side of the law, but they still like each other and all that fun stuff. So It's the TV trope, dating Catwoman. I like uh, this version of her where she doesn't have a costume, you know, it's just, well, I mean, aside from her Miss Pegg's disguise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's in that green dress, which they reproduced when they did, like, this slideshow of the different versions of her character on, um, there's a trade that came out around the time of the Halle Berry movie. Brian Boland, yeah. Brian Boland, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, really and- good. And on the cover, yeah, that they have like this version. But I like this version of her, you know, like just like this kind of like I don't want to say international jewel thief because there's yeah. some of this age she's international, but like you know that kind of like character. You well, know, she's this. she's the cat because she's a cat burglar, not because right. There's no cat uh, cat motif there, at all. There's an elegance about her, you know. She's right. not like jumping mm-hmm. through the rooftops, breaking into like the jewelry store, you know. She's on a yacht and you know mm-hmm. this little green <laughs> dress, you know, stealing. Well, I, I kind of like the idea that even from the very, very, very beginning, Batman always was kind of attracted to her. Because yep. that's something that you would imagine would be sort of in, like tertiarily inserted later on in the history. But no, from the very beginning, he actually, she actually did get under, under his skin. I, I, did, I do find that interesting because they've, they've never actually had him, like, except for like that one uh, Heart of Us issue, him come out and admit any feelings towards her. It's always sort of been like a, 
will they won't be kind of thing. I, well, they kind of had to do it after after having Dick and Babs together in Robin's direction. They kind of had to get Batman love interest too. Well, I mean, he's had plenty of love interests. Like that—that's like one like thing that like after the eight, the mid '80s when like he became the emotionless guy. It's like, well, I've literally seen people say, "Well, he's destined to be alone. He'll never be with someone." But he had regular rotating love interests, you know, for for a long time. Yeah, but it's just never anybody anybody cares about. So were those love interests though for Batman or Bruce Wayne? Bruce Wayne, like like Linda Page, Julie Madison, Vicky Vale. Yeah. Well, like in, in the seventies, there was like, there was like a, or in the eighties, there was like you know, Not almost her. a ha- almost a harem going on with like uh, <laughs> Julie, what's Julia, what's her face, Alfred's daughter, and, oh yeah, you know, Kyle and Vicky Vale. Like his love life was a part of the book, and it wasn't like a small part. Well, it would make sense that he would have a love life, considering he's supposed to be masquerading as a millionaire playboy, you know. Um, but I do think it's funny, or I like it better when the the girls are more designed for, you know, his Batman side, as far as like Catwoman and what's her face, Ra's al Ghul's daughter, and all that stuff. Talia. Yeah, Talia, as opposed to you know Bruce Wayne dating, which because Bruce Wayne always just seems like a facade to me anyway. So. And that's one thing that I don't that I don't like about recent years is that like that side of him has been played down. Mm-hmm. To the point where it does seem like a facade, and that's why that's what I like about him dating somebody human, like you know Vicky Vale or Linda Page or whatever, because it plays up that side of his personality, which has just been depleted over time. Well, I yeah. think that the best interpretation of a love interest for him actually was in the anime series with Andrea Beaumont, because she she was attracted to like the real Bruce Wayne. Not so much Batman, but like the Bruce Wayne who he really was and not the Playboy persona. So he sort of had the best of both worlds without one compromising the other. Yeah. The problem with Andrea Beaumont is like after that one story, you know, you it's it's like her story's over. You really can't do more with her. Yeah. Because she's supposed to be that tragedy. They tried, they tried an issue of Batman and Robin Adventures, but it didn't really work out. Yeah. I mean, and on the subject of the love life and too, like, you know, he mentions Julie here and it's like, she'll be in the Clayface story that you guys are doing next month, but until they actually break up, spoiler in issue 49, Detective, like, you don't see mentions of her at all. Like, he even tries to pick up another girl at a club in an issue that you guys are <laughs> Like, people forget, like, he, he forgets that he's engaged. That's our <laughs> He doesn't seem too attracted to Julie here, where he's going on and on about uh, the cat, and then, oh, I must, mustn't forget I have a girl named Julie. Oh, well, she still had lovely eyes. Maybe I'll bump into her again that, sometime. That was, that was a joke that um, I heard somebody say on a podcast about Batman and Robin where he, like, is lusting after Bat, after uh, Poison Ivy, and at any time, Robin could have just said, don't you have a fiancé of your own, someone called Julie Madison? Uh, You'd think that having a fiancé would be a bigger deal, but I guess no. we are socialite, and it's 1940. It really yeah, isn't. I, I really think that like, in this yeah. down period, he basically had a fiancé just for show. Yep. And maybe that's a, little, that's a little going overboard, but I don't think he cared about her that much at all. Nope. Well, he reunites with her in the in the 70s, and, like, he really, like, not, like, romantic. Well, uh, I'm, I'm face-bombing because I'm going to have to explain this story. She, <laughs> uh, I've, I've explained this to you before. Like, she became, like, princess of another country, and mm-hmm. she married, like, a guy who died, but she was kidnapped by aliens. 
And like she and Bruce <laughs> did hook up again, but it wasn't really her. It was oh like the God. scroll version of her. But then there was another story, which was a sequel to that one, where she was marrying a guy from a different, the king of a different country, who was a dead ringer for Bruce. But for okay, some, reason, every sentence you're saying <laughs> is a facepalm. Yeah. <laughs> every single time you pause to take a breath, I just want to say dot dot dot. <laughs> and, and, and that was in the seventies. Yeah, and then Bruce has to step in for this king who like is his lookalike and marry Julie in the <laughs> king's place. <laughs> And Julie's like, I know that it's really you because you kiss just like you used to. What's going Did Mark on? Did Weisinger write this? Or? I don't remember. It's, so, it's... Mike, Mike, I think you and I are going to end the show with 1969. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking Nothing else ever happened. But like it's it's been shown in other stories that like he he legitimately cared about her. But then there's other ones like the Grant Morrison one where it's like, huh, tell Julie that we're breaking up, Alfred. Julie left six months ago. Oh. <laughs> Oh well. well to, to, to be honest, I, I, I like that interpretation because it's, it's actually canonical. I mean, I mean, I think I think that him having a, a fiance who knows something about him as be, being Batman, I think that's out of character. Well, and just as far as referencing the Golden Age, it, it seems more in line with what's going on right now, where he doesn't seem to care about her one lick. So yeah, it was just, you know, he's not like, huh, Julie, my love, how I lost her. Oh, hi, Kathy. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where do you guys get up to Kathy Kane? <laughs> That's pretty far in the future, though, right? We're, we're yeah. going to be back for that one, though. We have to be. In in, in five years. Yeah, really. For the, for the good of the nation. Anybody else got anything on this one? I think I'm I'm out. Actually, yeah. Batman's reasoning for thinking that Miss Peggs was the cat seems like a pretty sketchy guess at best. And had he been wrong, then back on page 11... Robin would have tackled a poor old woman for nothing. <laughs> right. Well, at that point, they saw that she was running too fast for someone that had, like, you know, a peg well, leg. Well, Batman did. Batman did, right. And, and he even says, nice legs for an old woman. Yeah, but Robin's not there. Right, and he had oh. no way to, to alert Robin that had he been wrong, you know. He t-tweeted it. <laughs> right, right. A bat tweet. At Batman, yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of sketchy, just... You know, he, he he has to have an accomplice, an accomplice, so it must be the lady he came on board with. Yeah. But but um, it also was kind of neat. I think, like you already said, that, you know, he's given Robin some detective lessons, let him try to work it out himself, and then, you know, ultimately telling him he's totally and wrong. Robin fails. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, you're totally wrong. This is the campiest and most, you know, Adam Westiest, Adam Westian story so far and it's hard to believe this is the same character that was just snapping the necks of Cossacks <laughs> watching a guy die in a fire just a few months ago um, that was the greatest sentence you've ever said I don't want to see it all the time but I like that the first half of the story was primarily a Robin story and that Batman came in later and it's nice to nice to see that character getting more play opposed to the last two stories which right. have just Robin just shows up gets captured and then Batman has to save him Right. But, yeah, it was a fun story. I guess I expected Catwoman to be more villainous when she started out and then slowly moved to that playful romantic interest, so I was kind of surprised to see that from the beginning. I am finding that I am just constantly being surprised at how much all these Batman characters are starting out the way I think of them. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Most part. I mean, every, I mean, all of them, pretty much. Um, we haven't really come across anything where it's like, wow, that's that doesn't sound like him or her. You know, it's like... They just start out right. I mean, right. Unlike I some, I'm uh, some Man of Steel. I can, I can think of that. Batman's a lot more playful than I think he'll become on the iconic. 
Well, yeah, but he didn't. He didn't start out that way. No. So, even that applies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's certainly he's certainly moving in a direction where he's where he's not going to be at all in the future. But at least in the beginning, well, he was dark and mysterious and mean and stuff. He's he's still gonna he's still gonna go up against like really dark situations, and he may be like smiling and, and like, like like laughing a lot, but he's not really a lighthearted character in the sense that he he goes into some really really crazy things and the whole. The whole the whole mindset of him being sort of like this uh, deputization of the law kind of character is sort of I think it's, it's, I think it's sort of a decade thing where it sort of like hits around the late forties I think in my reading anyway. Yeah, he's he's certainly moving along towards being Mister Nice Guy, you know, duly deputized citizen of Gotham who gets parades thrown for him and stuff like that. But yeah, not quite there yet, and he certainly didn't start out that way. So not when he's throwing police officers off the roof to attract police or throwing sorry sorry throwing uh criminals off the roof to attract the police yeah right <laughs> like john mcclain <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i didn't think of that so where can uh, we read this story john <clears throat> this story was in again the famous first edition f5 and the millennium editions and the batman the dark knight archives and the batman chronicles volume one just like all the rest of batman number one but this particular story was also in Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 2, Trade Paperback for 1992. That was a follow to the Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, but since it was 1992, every story in it was a Penguin or Catwoman story. Huh. Um, oh, because of Batman Returns? Right. Okay. Coming out that year. So they published a, a collection of Batman stories featuring Catwoman and Penguin calling it the greatest ever told. We also had Catwoman, the Nine Lives of Feline Fatale, trade paperback from 2004, and that's it. Batman Chronicles. Yeah, Batman Batman Chronicles, Chronicles, Legends of the uh, the Dark Knight Archives, all the other stuff that Batman number one was in. So then after this story, we have that cool advertisement again, um, plug in the big six comic magazines that still lead the field which is uh, Superman, Sandman, Batman, Ultraman, Spectre, and Flash in their respective books, and we already talked about that in a previous episode, so I won't go into detail again. Um, Then we have a two-page text piece called Two Aces by George Shute and Raymond Perry. I feel robbed um, from the three aces in Action Comics going right now. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that title sounded familiar, and I couldn't remember what the, the action equivalent was, but yeah, that's funny. Um, then we have two pages of comedy again, this time starring Ginger Snap by Bob Kane, if you've ever heard of him before. Uh, okay, my, uh, my scan says by Ted Ray. I was just going to say, he signed it as Ted Ray, according to the Grand Comics database. So he That's was going, weird. I guess he didn't want credit for that one. Because um, he usually signs Ginger Snap as Bob Kane. Yeah. Maybe he thinks he's too cool as a batman or now he has to start signing his... Uh, uh, maybe Ginger Snap got negative reviews. <laughs> or, yeah, all the, or all the above, right. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have one page called Fantastic Facts by George Papp. Um, and did you know that in Egypt they say, how are you sweating, instead of saying, how is your health? Or that a tribe of Mexican Indians blow into a friend's ear as a form of greeting or if that's not enough in morocco the firing of a pistol is considered a warm welcome 
And kangaroos, although they grow to a height of eight whole feet, are only one inch long at birth. And lastly, if you're still with us, Jack Dempsey's left hook traveled at a terrific speed of 135 miles per hour. And Joe Lewis ranks next with only 127 miles an hour. And those are That's those are nothing. Those are boxers. Those are boxers for all you, you know, comic people out there. I'm so glad we're doing this over Skype, or that whole blowing in the ear thing would probably get really awkward with John here. <laughs> right. Hey now. You never can tell when I'm around. Um Okay, I need to go lock my doors. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> and we have one more Batman story for this issue to cover today. And for that we have a Michael Bradley given the given the summary. So take it away, Mike. All right, creatively, it was the usual suspects. We've got Bill Finger writing, Bob Kane pencils, Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson doing inks. And our 13-page story is entitled The Joker Returns. Once again, that harlequin of hate, the Joker, brings grinning death to a terrified people, a mocking doom from which no one can escape. And once again, two heroic figures, Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, pit their amazing skill in a supreme effort to halt this parade of crime. Our story begins two days after the end of the of this issue's first story, as we find the Joker fuming in prison about his capture. Unscrewing two false teeth, the Joker mixes together a chemical, which causes an explosion, allowing him to escape from his cell. Word spreads of the Joker's escape, including to the home of Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. While Bruce and Dick ruminate on the contemptible clown, the Joker skulks through a cemetery and slips into a secret laboratory within a buried crypt. Soon, a warning blares, a warning from the Joker blares from the radio that he plans to kill Police Chief Chalmers at 10 o'clock. That night, the clock ticks closer to 10 as a cordon of, of officers protect the chief. The phone rings. As the chief grabs the receiver, he tells the caller to speak up, and a voice on the other end screams, Joker! The chief screams in pain and falls to the floor dead with a ghastly <laughs> grin spread across his face. Over the following day, the city finds itself victim to a series of crimes, including a stolen, a stolen painting with only a Joker card left behind, and a stolen rare gem with its owner left with a grinning death. Again, a warning from the Joker comes, from, comes across the radio that he plans to steal the Cleopatra necklace from the Drake Museum at 8 o'clock. Bruce hears the warning and finally decides that the totally awesome Batman should maybe possibly do something about this crime wave. <laughs> A gaggle of police guard the necklace, and as that clock strikes eight, the Joker creeps out of a mummy case, firing a venom gas gun, neutralizing the officers. Just as he's grabbing the necklace, the Batman lunges from the shadows. After trading blows, the Joker grabs an axe from the wall. The Batman evades the killing strike, but a glancing blow on the side of the head leaves him unconscious. As the thundering footsteps of more police approach, the Joker beats a hasty retreat. When the officers enter, they find the signs of the Joker's handiwork. They lament the Joker's escape, but see the unconscious body of the Batman. One officer says he wants to see who is under the mask and reaches for the famous cowl. Will the cowl be taken off? If the Batman is revealed as Bruce Wayne, his career as nemesis of crime is finished. Is this the end of the mighty Batman? Tune in next time. Just then, the Batman leaps up, elbows past the guards, and makes a makes an exit by crashing through a nearby window and doing a flip to land on the roof, leaving the officers dumbfounded. The failure of the police to capture the Joker angers local political blowhard Edgar Martin, who <laughs> begins railing against the police. 
In his lab, the Joker plots, cooking up a medicine to, to silence Martin. And soon, yet another warning comes over the airwaves, saying Martin will die at 9 o'clock. That night, Martin stirs nervously about his home. One of the officers suggests he play solitaire with a deck of cards that had been mysteriously left on the table in order to calm his nerves. As Martin picks up the deck, he cuts his thumb on one of the cards. As he deals the first card, Martin is shocked to see it is a joker, and even more shocked to find that the next card, and in fact all the cards in the deck, are jokers. Panic strikes Martin, and he falls over, dead, with a familiar grin of the joker on his face. The next day, Commissioner Gordon meets with his good friend Bruce and tells him about the Joker's escapades. Bruce and the Commissioner devise a plan to plant news stories about a famous fire ruby in order to lure the Joker into a trap. The Joker takes the bait and the next night creeps into the house of the owner of the gem, only to be surprised by four officers wearing gas masks. The Joker shoots at the officers and flees to the roof, but his escape is cut short by Robin, the boy wonder. Robin pursues the Joker across the rooftops, but just as he's about to nab the Harlequin of Hate, the Joker turns and swats the Boy Wonder, knocking him off the roof. Robin plummets towards the ground, but is able to latch onto a flagpole and stop his fall. The Joker returns to street level via a fire escape, notices Robin's precarious situation, and aims to shoot. The Batman cries out for him to stop, but the Joker takes aim at Robin's head. Just then, the pole snaps and Robin falls. With a mid-air flip, Robin is able to bounce off a canopy and land on the back of the Joker. Like a tiger in cage, the Batman leaps to the attack. After some fisticuffs, the Batman seems to have the upper hand, but the Joker pulls a knife and lunges at the Batman. Our hero sidesteps, causing the Joker to stumble and plunge the blade into his own chest. <laughs> he staggers backward, in pain, in shock, then erupts into maniacal laughter. And with that, the Joker collapses to the ground having played his last hand. After some solemn words from the Batman, he and Robin take off, leaving the police to deal with the Joker's body. But as his body is loaded into the ambulance, a doctor turns ghastly pale when he realizes the Batman was wrong. The Joker yet lives. The end. Awesome. That's a really, like, over-the-top, but at the same time cool ending. He's, he's still alive, and he's going to live! Yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun. Well, you, you know, you know the story behind that, right? Yeah. Yes. The fact that okay. there's still a Joker after that. <laughs> right. Okay. No. I guess I guess John doesn't then. Originally, <laughs> I guess I don't. <laughs> I, yes. I thought it was a pretty well-known story, but originally Finger wrote the story that the Joker died, and oh. Whitney Ellsworth, the editor, thought the character was too good to kill off, so the ending of the story had to be redone. And again, in his autobiography. Kane claims that Ellsworth had him, Kane, redraw the last panel, or excuse me, the panel, and alter the dialogue, alluding to the fact that, or alluding to the idea that Finger wasn't even in on it. Now, whether that part's true, I don't know, but that's kind of the impression he gives in his book. Yeah, I don't know. So, uh, I thought this issue was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, think it was a, a little, I actually think it was a little grittier than the last, with the last Joker story, which is kind of hard to say but i thought it had it had like this sort of like raw believability to it which i thought felt came off real and made me be more engaged with it it's interesting how they were able to take basically the same story idea <laughs> and right. make a pretty different story and like like don said even grittier and darker right. um I, I thought it was rather effective 
But it is kind of the same. It's the same exact story. story. <laughs> it is kind of the same exact story, yeah. But you're right; it is, it is equally entertaining. Um, and I think he's more about payback this time than than getting pretty shiny things or whatever. Yeah. So it may be a. Uh, it's not a huge nitpick, but it seems like two days for the Joker to stay in prison is either way too long or not long enough. Yeah, I must. He was. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say it must be frustrating to be, you know, Batman and and even Superman at this point. It seems like their villains escape within twenty four to forty eight hours every time they put them in. So it seems like having two chemicals that when you put them together will make a big explosion <laughs> is a very dangerous thing to have in your mouth. Yeah, especially that close together inside your mouth. Right. Don't, don't eat any. Uh, you know. Be a vegetarian. Yeah, Especially but, for a guy who, who smiles a lot and has his teeth knock up against each other. But, you know, <laughs> he's insane, so it's okay. Uh, and I and I kind of, I mean, it, it is weird. I guess we don't really see that too much from the Joker. Well, I don't know, but um, I like that it was kind of a uh, a parallel to Batman doing the same thing. And then later he has this secret lab just like Batman has. And he's kind of yeah. like a twisted version of Batman, you know, same or, you know, same guy on, on, a, on a different side or something, you know. Well, he eventually will have a Joker utility belt and Joker mobile. Exactly, exactly. I'm a little disappointed that the Joker got his totally awesome underground laboratory and a secret entrance before we actually get the Batcave. But I really, really like that he has that, even though I don't know how he set that up underneath the graveyard. But Yeah, and, and Batman does have his secret closet, so. Well, yeah. So, yeah. not yeah. quite as cool as a cave, but. So on page two, or I'm sorry, page three, is this the the wackiest thing since the the, the flowers with faces? The fact that he screams in a, in a phone receiver and the guy dies. Yes, that was ridiculous to me. I don't even, <laughs> like, I don't even really get what they're talking about, and <laughs> and more so, even if I get it, I'm not. I don't see how this cop can just bend down and and easily figure out what the heck. Well, happened. obviously he died this way. Right. It's yeah. Um, the, the the vibrations of a speaker on a phone are so fine. The idea that it would actually push a dart into your ear and yeah. kill you is is, is beyond Impossible. the unbelievable. Even if you're shouting through the receiver, it, it wouldn't. Yeah. But at the same time, it is kind of funny. Joker! <laughs> <laughs> He's dead. I can't believe that you, you squeeze your fist uh, strong enough, like, long enough that you will have immense strength more than this. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's pretty. It, it's you know they're just trying to be inventive and come up with new ideas. But yeah, sometimes they fail miserably. <laughs> really miserably. But I, I guess well, it's kind of like the guy with the um the playing cards. If he didn't cut his fingers by accident on the edge of the cards, that death wouldn't have happened. I uh, see. I didn't say that. I didn't take that as an accident. I thought they were purposely razor sharp. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Right. Even if they were purposely razor sharp, though. I mean, if the guy didn't cut his hands on them, then. Yeah, if he was it very delicate, happen. right. If it hadn't been a windy day, Dick Grayson never would have seen <laughs> the notes about, yeah. and then knowing that Denny was in league with someone, never would have told Batman. Batman never would have suspected Miss Pegs. Right. Thank and God. He never would have met works a fake. That's all I gotta say. If if Batman wasn't driving down that right street when he saw that, uh, you know, <laughs> the the henchman of of Doctor Death of Doctor Death, he never would have been able to trace him all the way back to Doctor Death's lair and capture him either. So. Coincidence is Batman's friend. If Thomas <laughs> and, and Martha Wayne had decided to like, you know, just, you know, get a you know, get a torrent, a legal torrent of Zorro instead. <laughs> or just stay home and order pizza. 
Or see like <laughs> a show or see like an earlier showing. Can we go to the movies, Mom? Dad? No. And Batman was never created. Yep. Page two we have more of Bruce just waxing poetic while a vicious criminal kills people. Yep. And his face looks stupid again. <laughs> Not as bad as the last issue. No, no. Last story. But- Oh, but still, he's just Mr. I, I did kind of like the lines, um, the Joker has spoken, and I'll stop you. The Batman has spoken. Yeah, later. Sort of like one-upping him a little bit. Commissioner Gordon shows up, and he doesn't show up as frequently as people think that he does back in the Golden Age. We've noticed age. that, yeah. And even when he shows like, up, people, it's usually people, one panel. People take that for granted, that like you know these characters who like were around like were around regularly. Yeah. He looks, he looks younger in my copy. He has brown hair. Who's the uh, is is that he who's supposed to be unmasking the Batman? No, 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 no. no when no. it says the next day, Bruce Wayne visits his friend, Police Commissioner Gordon. Right. Oh, John. do do we do we have an identity on that cop who gets the close up and gets to unmask the Batman? Chief O'Hara. No. Chief <laughs> O'Hara. No, I don't think there's a name on him. Which I, uh, I, again, I like I like that scene. I love that scene where Batman like springs to life and they're shooting at him as he crashes through the window. That's that's very Batman to me. Yeah, but that panel's kind of silly looking. The anatomy's not great, admittedly, though. <laughs> it looks like he's doing jazzercise or something like that. I'm gonna learn how to fly. That was Superman's theme song for the first two years. Batman's of probably more of a flash, can- flash dance guy, though. <laughs> right, right. To be honest with you. What I'm feeling <laughs> is believing. Uh, the Cleopatra necklace, though, that was the same necklace he was going after at the end of the first Joker story. So I don't oh. know if that was a coincidence or just a mistake that they used the same name, or if it was intentional. I mean, let's say let's say it was intentional because that's pretty cool. He really wants that necklace. Okay, yep. but at the end of that story, the necklace was at a person's home, and here is the, it's in a museum. Well, she donated it. In two days. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Why not? It's on loan. Or, or Cleopatra had more than one necklace. So I, don't think I like how, I like how like Batman's his, talking it, about the, the Joker's lily white neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick, Mike, Mike mentioned that the Joker was uh, he calls the Joker the Holocaust of Hate, and they actually call him that in this issue. Mm-hmm. You first get that uh, that uh, uh, moniker. Yeah, I think that's the first time, right? And it sticks. Before the the clown, because I think the clown's prison crime is his a uh, typical moniker. Or, or a nickname. Right. The Harley, the Harley Quinn of hate to the Joker is like the Cape Crusader to Batman. Yeah. It was interesting seeing the Joker use a gas gun, though, because to this point, uh, the Crimson Avenger and Sandman, who were two of DC's earliest costumed heroes, aside from Superman and Batman, had both wielded gas guns. So it was interesting seeing a villain pick that up, too. So I'm not... I, I, I doubt Kane and Finger picked it up from them, but... And you note that he's just shooting it around, and it's it's filling up the room, yes. and he's just walking around, breathing it, no problem. But the cops need to stop saying the Joker wouldn't dare. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they keep on saying that, and people keep on dying. For the love of God, stop! The Joker wouldn't dare blow up a hospital. Oh wait. Oh, that's what I have. There's a panel here that says uh, he brings the mace down on his head. Uh. A sheer desperate, a sheer desperate. I think it says thrust or maybe twist of the sheer desperate twist of the a Batman's sheer body. 
right. the mace gives him a glancing blow on the side of the head. That's not a mace, is it? No, it's an axe. That's uh, yeah. an axe. I was just double The mace that. is Hawkman's weapon. It's, it's a right. handle with a metal ball with spikes coming out of the metal ball. Yeah, so that's just a case of writer and artist not, not communicating, I guess. Um, or a spray thing that you keep in your purse. Yeah. I think this is the first time that we've had someone try and unmask the Batman, as far as yes. I remember. And it's also the first time we've gotten reference that Batman's activities could be curtailed if his identity is revealed. I mean, I guess it's obvious with the costume and all, but we've not gotten that kind of, um, oh, I can't let my identity be revealed. Right. Well, I, I, think it, I think it's like sort of like hand-in-hand uh, um, hand with, you know, if you know who they are, then their effectiveness kind of goes. Yeah. As Commissioner Gordon says in the 60s Batman movie, their effects as uh, costume criminals will be destroyed. But what a weird panel, this... Uh... This Adam West, you know, what's going to happen next, kids? You know, mm-hmm. panel. Um, I've never seen a comic book do that before. It was kind of interesting. They did it a lot in the Superman newspaper serial, I've been noticing, as I've been going through it. Well, at Not least so much in comics, though. At least there, you know, it's another, what, another day before you get right. the answer. This is like you turn the page and, <laughs> and that's, and oh, that's no. what happens. Is Batman going to be unmasked? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Batman will be right back, right now. And now, back to Batman. Um, and now, and a then, word from us kids. And then jo- Josh, uh, Josh, speaking of stupid cops, we got uh, reformer Edgar Martin being even more stupid uh-huh. by, by speaking out against the Joker publicly. And, of course, what the heck's going to happen to him, you know? He's about to a quill be shoved into his neck. I mean, I if I... If the Joker was doing anything in my city, I would just be locking my door and staying inside until it was all over. <laughs> I wouldn't go out there and say, Joker, you suck. And I said so. <laughs> Me. Me, Michael Kaiser, who lives at, you know. <laughs> Here's my address. Here's, here are my loved ones. Here are some ironic ways I could die. <laughs> I love the playing police. cards. The police aren't too bright either because this is what the sixth or seventh time the, the Joker has issued a death threat and they've gotten a cordon of officers and it's never worked before, but they just keep doing it. Yeah. They should keep them away from like keep them away from anything, like 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 phones, cards. Or his house. Yeah. Move <laughs> him to a safe house. Yeah, that would yeah. be the smart thing to do. Yeah, they keep they keep letting these guys stay at their house. One day the Joker's gonna be like, I'm gonna rob, you know, Chief O'Hara. I've spoken and then like <laughs> Twenty guards are going to be at his house, and then and then like nothing's going to happen, and then like he's just going to rob the first national bank. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. What'd yeah. you think of Bruce pitching the idea to Gordon on how to capture the Joker? I liked it. Um, cops, cops should take suggestions from rich, bored civilians more often. <laughs> well, you know they've established that they're friends. Yeah, and they All hang out a lot. Yeah, right, right. So I kind of like that. Not only is Bruce using Commissioner Gordon to get tips on crime, but now he's using his persona as Bruce Wayne to to steer the the bad guy in the right direction. Well, he is he is a member of the force. He is. Yeah, yeah. Look at the last uh, second to last panel of the story. Oh, Bruce Wayne in the police clothes. Yeah, just like Julie <laughs> Madison's the cat. Oh. That was a long way to go for that. In that was a really failed way. That was like a really failed roundabout way of saying that that cop looks just like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Everyone has, no, no one's blonde in these stories. No. 
we get more cool hand-to-hand fighting by Batman and and between Batman and the Joker. And I really like that the Joker is every bit as physically as an equal of Batman as he has a mental mm-hmm. equal. Right. And I don't think yeah. that really carries through all the way till today. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't think that's a, a staple of their fights, but it does kind yeah. of pop up again and again. It just seems like it's always round one Joker because Batman underestimates him, and then by round two, it's like, okay, I'm done with you, clown, and he <laughs> yeah. just beats the heck out of him. So. I thought I thought it was cool that like um, he is like I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And he starts like freaking out and laughing. I thought yeah, that was. That's the- that's the most maniacal laughter we got from him in the two stories, too. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. That's 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 like Joker from like now. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it's just a big joke that he's gonna die, and then he did ha, it himself. Ha 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 ha! ha Freaking ha, ha. hilarious. <laughs> His face is kind of funny with with Batman and Robin looking at him. Yeah. It's also like like like, like uh. A callback, or not a callback, but you know that happens again in like not only the the movie but uh, Dark Knight Returns, because like I think the only time he 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 wasn't happy that he died was uh, in the uh, spoilers Return of the Joker, the, the Batman Beyond movie. Other times that he he seems to relish the thought of being killed in some way. Irony. Well, I think he likes it when Batman's involved in the death, yeah, at least. But this whole business where he actually ends up being alive after he gets stabbed in the chest, and, and we know it's just because they wanted to keep him around for future stories. But um, And correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard uh, theories that maybe the Joker not is not just disfigured, not just white skin and green hair, but maybe there's something more to him that people theorize that maybe he actually can't die or is already dead or you know heals really good or something like that because it seems like he's always dying or... Almost uh, dead almost dead and then he'll just come back with no explanation how he survived that exploding plane or or whatever joker logic i mean like like he he typically, typically falls off stuff and survives um right. i don't i i've actually never heard of a theory that the chemicals oh. that have turned him into the joker made him somewhat immortal that's, a, that's an interesting right. idea but i just think that it's sort of like his luck or something yeah i don't like that idea Not yeah i don't i don't even know where i've heard that idea it's just been float it's been around i don't know where it came from, whether it was in comic book or just people on you know message boards talking or yeah, I don't really like the idea that he has the like a mutant ability or anything, but I right. do like that we see him almost dying or or you know put in situations where that we just don't know how he survived because it just adds to the unpredictable nature of the character. I think, and if it's never explained, it's never explained. Like we never really get a definitive origin. I don't think. There's literally a, a, a scene where uh, in an episode of Batman: The Brave and the Bold, where like they say, "How do you survive?" He says, "Ah, oh, who cares? I've been blown up, <laughs> shot at, eaten by sharks. I'm the Joker. I always survive." <laughs> See, that's all you need. Yeah. Exactly. Imagine how history would have been if they would have kept him dead at this point, because nature does not like um, a vacuum. So somebody else in history would have taken his place. Yeah. I wonder who that would have been. I would, so- I would probably been on Hugo, Hugo Strange. I don't know. He only had one more appearance after this before being written out of the Golden Age, so I don't know. Dumb Dumb Dugan. would have been Dumb Dumb Dugan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dumb yeah. himself. Yeah, there you go. Uh, they've, they've used that as uh, making yeah. Robin the villain in a few different continuities. I... And it's always so. The last panel of the story gives us, gives us Robin's rules for regulars, giving us Robin's code of readiness, obedience, brotherhood, industriousness, and nationalism. 
and encouraging Let's... readers to help those that need it. Uh, why not become one of Robin's regulars? No bud, no button or badges needed. The world will recognize your golden axe without them. Be a Robin regular by being regular. <laughs> the lamest. Wow. Lamest, uh, lamest thing. Not as inspiring as the Superman of America Club, I don't think. Yeah. The words readiness, obedience, brotherhood, and dust. You're just saying like things that you find on, a, on an inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> and, Nationalism. Like, can you elaborate? And be, cool. You, be cool like Robin by being regular. Yeah, be, be a nationalist. <laughs> Eat your brand fake. Practice it. nationalism every day. <laughs> industrialness, like what? How, how how's a ten year old boy gonna practice industrialness? I love this this panel though. It's like a kid not accepting money or whatever from a an old man who he helped cross the street because I'm a Robin's regular. Our first motto is always be helpful to those who need help. And in the background is Robin like going, "Yep." <laughs> How do you know what their first motto is? I thought their first motto was readiness. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty silly. And it would have been really cool if they had actually offered a badger or, or something, you know. I don't know. Something worth millions of dollars today that no one can get a hold of. But overall on, on this issue, I mean, I just think they just knocked it clean out of the park for this first issue of the Batman oh, self-titled yeah. comic. I mean, there's no question about it. I would say it's better than Superman 1 by far, and Superman oh, yeah. 4 was out by this point. It was the first – I mean, this is basically modeled after Superman 4 because it's a, it's a book of four re, uh, right. new stories. But I would say I enjoyed it more than Superman 4. Right. Superman 1 had a mark against it because it was all reprints. Right. You know, so that's – But those reprinted stories weren't as good as these stories. No. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Not when you have Superman kidnapping a football player and <laughs> right, right. taking his place, but – Right. Superman did that kind of thing back then. But if uh, you are interested in reading this Joker story, it has been reprinted nowhere. Uh, nowhere really? that the entire issue hasn't been reprinted. Yeah, there's just um, famous first edition, F5, and Batman The Dark Knight Archives Volume 1, the Batman Number 1 Millennium Edition, and Batman Chronicles Volume 1. So, so not, not, e- not even Joker's greatest stories or greatest Joker stories or any of that not stuff? Not according to the information I found online, but... Wow. Well, well, he almost dies by the end of it. It's probably not one of his greatest Yeah, but it's his, it's his first appearance, you'd think. Second anyway. well, Yeah, but you, you probably want to be a little more diverse if you're, you know, padding out yeah. the, a trade paperback of his appearances. Like, you want to get, true. like, different eras and stuff. Yeah, so. this story was a lot like his first appearance, so I guess they could just skip over it. Right, you'd probably want to do the one where he like steals sandcastles from that kid at the beach. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's oh, when he becomes truly insane. <laughs> Stealing from kids. It's a Dick Dick Spring classic, I believe. All right. After this story, we got one page of advertisement that says the Batman appears in a complete episode every month in Detective Comics, now on sale, and it shows a miniature version of the detective comics number 40 cover which we will be talking about next episode but i thought it was kind of interesting that the cover kind of looks very much like the opening splash to the last story we just talked about where robin is hanging on a pole and then after that as promised at the uh end of i think the cat story is on the back cover we have a the autograph picture yes (laughs) we have the autograph pinup of batman and robin by bob kane and they're standing in front of a generic yellow background with big smiles on their faces. And Batman has his hands on his hips. And Robin is 
has his arms crossed and they're looking very heroic and it says underneath Batman yours for a bigger and better thrills signed Batman and underneath Robin it says and that goes double for me Robin it's an awesome pinup and I really love that it's quote unquote signed by Batman and Robin. yeah and on the, underneath it says cut out and frame which made it so that uh, Batman number one is now worth three hundred twenty thousand dollars today so <laughs> in near man condition well, at least it wasn't a coloring contest on the back of the first page of the story. So, right. Back well, that's, not, that's another image where Robin's cape is ripe, ripe banana green. Yeah, yeah. It, hadn't, it hadn't ripened yet. <laughs> uh, um, other books from DC in April 1940. We had More Fun Comics number 55 with the first appearance of archaeologist Kent Nelson, better known as the Mystical Doctor Fate. Though sadly, he's not on the cover of the comic. Hmm. We also had Adventure Comics number 50 with a very cool Our Man cover by Bernard Bailey that shows Our Man chained from a pipe hanging above two barrels of TNT while a wall of flame edges ever closer. And behind him, you see a uh, villainous looking type making tracks and running out of the room. We also had Flash Comics number 6 and All American Comics number 15, which were both All American books. And finally, we had Action Comics number 25, which had the first Superman work by artist Wayne Boring. Wow. Ooh, I, I like Wayne Boring's Superman. Yeah, me too. I um, saw some Wayne Boring work in the uh, newspaper strips before that, but this would be his first okay, comic first work. first Superman comic work, yeah. Okay, so fellas, why don't you tell the kids out there listening where they can, what other shows they can find you on. Um, I'm going to limit John to five minutes. Yeah, John, go. you got five minutes. <laughs> okay, uh, I am with these two wonderful gentlemen, um, Josh Bertoni and Don Grant, over on Amazing Spider-Man Classics at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com, where we are looking at the classic 1960s adventures of The Amazing Spider-Man. We are currently in the early John Romita era, shortly after the introduction of Mary Jane with all of her crazy lingo and um, the... Uh, the eternal triangle of Mary Jane, Gwen, and Peter, and Harry, and Flash that will never die. Hmm. Um, it's not a triangle, though, is it? It's more of a pentagon. <laughs> then I have my own podcast where I go solo on Golden Age Superman, looking at the adventures of Superman from this same time period. Uh, that's just myself by myself. Trying to do one month of comics per week, we uh, uh, have... We, being I, have recently had several episodes with guest hosts, but now I'm back on my own looking at the adventures of 1940. That's at goldenagesuperman.libson.com. And then there is The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast with some guy named Michael Kaiser. That you've probably jerk. never heard of. Yeah. Totally. He, he called me the other day, like out of nowhere. Uh-huh. But um, that's over at www.themightyshield.com. And finally, I am... One of the crew walking through the Brian Michael Bendis Ultimate Spider-Man series, uh, the others being Zach Henderson and Tyler Crone, and that is on Teenage Wasteland, an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast at teenagewasteland133.libsyn.com, and those are all available on iTunes. Uh, how about you, Don? Anything you want to plug? Oh, only one or two things. All right. Um, well, as John said, I am with these two crazy cats on ASM Classics. I also roll with Josh on the Batman Universe comic ca- comic podcast, where basically we just go over the monthly books every uh, every uh, fortnight, every two weeks. Um, 
I also am a co-host on the uh, Clone Saga Chronicles podcast, which has taken a bit of a dive in uh, in a uh, um, in content in the last several months. But we're coming back. We are coming back. And lastly, I do do reviews on the Spider-Man Crawlspace.com. I do uh, well as of this as of this recording. I have. I am about to do the very last episode of the 1994 Spider-Man animated series ep- um, that brought a lot of people, including myself, into Spider-Man. And um, I also review the Amazing Spider-Man uh, main title for the Crawl Space. And uh, that's that's pretty much it, I think. Well, as Don mentioned, um, you can hear more of us on uh, the Batman Universe comic podcast. The Batman Universe is actually a very... Uh, very thorough site and a very thorough uh, family of podcasts that deal with the subject of Batman. If you want to delve more into that, that's at thebatmanuniverse.net. The guy, Dustin, who run it is a man of limitless resources that I cannot believe. He is one of the biggest workaholics in podcasting I know, and I know John Wilson and Michael Bailey. So... <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I kid you, like this man to this man, a week where you don't have content out is considered the hiatus. Uh, I won't mention classics because John already did. Um, uh, Clone Soccer Chronicles uh, will be coming back. We're switching from Podomatic to uh, the servers at SpideyDude.com, but because SpideyDude.com is down right now, hey, so are we. So look at that. Um, there's some other stuff that I do occasionally, but. They're all kind of taken bits of breaks because I currently have a very extensive work schedule of over 100 hours some weeks. But, <laughs> yeah, when I'm not <laughs> that busy, I sometimes do. Uh, there was a Marvel Star Wars podcast which dealt with the Marvel Comics, uh, li- licensed Star Wars comics that started in the 70s and went through to the mid-80s. Uh, that was – that's coming – I've had a lot of people ask about when that's coming back, and I it's – I. I don't consider it dead. I consider it in a coma with a strong chance of recovery. For Tony Beetle Bonanza, that's another one of those that's in a coma but still has occasional content come out. That was one of my first podcasts that I ever did back in 2004, and it's still going – still, I wouldn't, not, I wouldn't say going strong, but it's had it's had a very, very good life. And, it, you know, it's not out of the woods yet, but it's been fun, obviously, talking about the Beatles. And what am I missing? Uh, I believe that's it. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks well, guys for coming on. We really do appreciate it. It's been a absolutely. been a great time. Yeah. Thank you for having us. It was very very gracious of you. Yeah, this is I've fun. had a very good time. Thank you so much. All right. So as for this show, uh, the official website can be found at batmanlegends.com, where you'll find show notes and images for every episode, as well as the various ways you can download our show. Uh, if you're an iPod user. You can find our show on iTunes by following the link on our site or simply searching for Legends of the Batman on iTunes on the iTunes store. And while you're there, it would be great if you could take the time to leave a show review. Mike's, my co-host here, Mike's goal for us is to get 12 whole reviews. Um, and he has so few joys in his life, so let's try and give him this one, okay? Um, Please. And if you'd rather just send us feedback directly, you can do that by emailing podcast at batmanlegends.com. We didn't read any emails this episode, but we will be right back on those next week. Um, And if you can't get enough of us, Mike and I are also on a few other shows. Mike has his personal baby called The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, where he talks about uh, the earliest appearances of his favorite character, the Man of Steel. 
exploring his Golden Age roots one story at a time. And you can find that awesomeness at greatcrypton.com. And like John already said, I co-host a Captain America show with him called The Mighty Shield, which you can find at themightyshield.com. Lastly, don't forget our partner site, Batman Yesterday, Today, and Beyond, a fan site for Batman comics, toys, figures, news, and more. And you can find that at batmanytb.com. So next week we will be back to just Mike and I again, and we will be covering all Batman releases in May of 1940, which will be Detective Comics number 40 and and New York World's Fair Comics 1940. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and it's copyright DC Comics. starting or i thought we were waiting on um something i'm here i'm here okay i got i got pizza in the oven but it, it's not going to be ready for another 10 minutes stop saying that <laughs> i'm gonna leave I this guess all the pizza in the oven was not <laughs> enough and i'm like don't you wish your pizzas in the oven <laughs>